Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanner Grace, and that is... Ross Marion. Yeah, sorry, I couldn't remember your name. I needed you to help me out there for a second. I was drawing a blank, Ross. Yeah, you know, you, you got fired for one job, and now you're suddenly a has-been. Yeah, I mean, and like... It's 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 more of like what have you done for me lately kind of thing, and the answer is not a lot, you know. <laughs> like yeah, you know. Well, there was one tournament in the last two years, and I top thirty two it. Okay, that's not I, that's my, okay. My favorite, and like I know I'm going to piss somebody off, but my favorite, someone's like, yeah, top forty three this tournament. I'm like, so you, you finished forty three? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just love that. Like honestly, I think half. The no, I finished thirty ninth. Yeah, I think half the people who oh, I finished thirty ninth. I think half the people who say that it's like kind of satirical or, or, or ironically like saying it which i think is hilarious by the way and like i would or remember i remember it was like fun for a little while people were like hey how'd you do you'd be at like an open and they'd be like oh i qualified for the classic tomorrow like as if like you know you oh yeah like, that was actually, my favorite. yeah yeah that was like one of my favorites when the kids started saying that i was like that's actually kind of clever and funny uh we've got a great episode for everybody here um I'm actually really excited about this one. I don't know about you, Ross, but I've been looking at the spoiler uh, Neon Dynasty. I always want to say Neon Destiny. Neon Dynasty looks great to me. Looks like a lot of fun. Actually makes me uh, hold hold your responses. Actually makes me interested in standard. It's, I, saying that just felt weird and wrong. I'm not. But, I'm, not I'm not there yet, Tannen. But there we'll yet. see. <laughs> I'm almost there, Ross. But. Uh, <laughs> But no, I'm I'm excited for it, and we're going to be talking about that quite a bit today. Uh, so don't go anywhere when we get into the magic talk. That's what we're going to be going over, and we should be doing that pretty quickly. But uh, I do want to let you know, and just so everybody at home, uh, l- l- well, let's do let's do some some housekeeping first. It is Tuesday, February first. It's about four p.m. in the afternoon for me. It's so about five p.m. in the afternoon for Ross. So you know, if a card comes out in the next like six hours that we don't get, that's like a you know bomb. Sorry, we don't get to it on this episode. We will on the next one, which. We'll probably have the whole spoiler out, and I assume we're going to do like our top eight probably next week. What do you think? Yeah, I'm assuming that we will have the full set on Friday. Mm, yeah, that seems about right. So we'll try to get it out yeah, as soon it, as possible. Because it gets released on Arena next Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to try to get this out as soon as possible, too, for people like before Philly and Arena and all this stuff. So they're going to get their stuff ready. So like, let's try to you know do this next Monday if the whole spoiler's out, if we can. Yeah, yeah I know both of, you, both of us are busy, but we'll see what we can do. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll try to get everybody up to date on our top eights because you're either going to do really, really well or really, really bad. However you want to take it from us. Cause we're, we're high variance, but I think that's the better way to be. Oh yeah. So. That's just, you always want to be high variance in magic first or mm-hmm. last. Oh yeah. That that's that incredible season I had in the SDG tour. I was talking to somebody about this. If I remember right, I played in like 16 opens and I had eight top eights, which is for one, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Right. Do you know what my average finish was in the other eight? Uh, I don't have an actual three number. drop. Yeah, like I didn't make day two. So like we never had a top sixteen. We never had a top thirty-two. It was top eight. It was it, it was hell or glory. I don't want anything in between, kind of thing, you know. And so half the time I just went home, <laughs> you know. Like so, was, th- that's the preferred way for me, you know. Some yeah. people like to grind it out. Yeah. Nah, I'm, I'm pay me or let me get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want all of it or none of it. Let's go. You know, kind of thing. I do want um, everybody at home and you to know that I am Jordan gaming it today. I am a little, maybe not under the weather, but I'm, I'm feeling kind of bad today. I was in the middle of a workout yesterday. I say the middle. It was towards the beginning of it. And I pulled a muscle so bad yesterday that I thought I was going to throw up. Which muscle? Uh, so I'm not sure the name of it. It's like whatever is like, it's kind of like under your arm, into your shoulder, into your back. Like almost like your lat or whatever, you know, like your lats that that go down. That's probably the side of the lat. 
Yeah, but I don't know because it started like it was like in my arm into the like you know what I mean like I'm not I'm not yeah. a muscle scientist it's like into your tricep almost. Uh, it was like kind of above it and behind. It's hard to explain because like it it felt like it went down my arm and like into my back and then like it that didn't it was weird like I can't really place. I think it was more than one. I think I had like a a, a ripple effect thing go. So I just immediately Ma- stopped. It was like maybe like a tendon connecting it to a bone or something that's between. Th- that might have been a thing. Like, I'm actually thinking about going see a physical therapist either today. I'm, like, mostly fine, but I haven't tried to pick anything up with that side of my body. Luckily, it's my left arm, and I'm right-handed. But uh, it definitely was, like, extremely painful. Uh, I couldn't, like, I was, like, trying to move from it, but I was, like, holding my arm because, like, I didn't want to, like, move my arm. And I was, like, worried that I actually did some structural damage for a minute. You know, like, I actually hurt myself, but I'm pretty sure we dodged all that. But it got so bad that I went and, like, laid down in my bathroom, like, on the tile floor. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like sweaty and pale. Like I looked like I had been like blowing chunks kind of thing. And I was just like, man, this, this was, and I've had little things like that before, you know, like where you're working out, you'll feel a muscle like tense up or whatever. And you're like immediately, like at my age, I just immediately stop. Yeah. "Yeah, We're we're not touching that area again. Like, you know, I'm not going to do any serious damage. Like, I don't want to mess around with that stuff. Like, you know, um, I, I, I barely know what I'm doing when it comes to stuff. Like I have a person that I talk to, I, I watch a lot of videos on YouTube, but still like, you could seriously injure yourself when you're doing this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Got to be careful, especially at your advanced age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm getting forty is very, very seeable in in my uh, through my windshield yeah. right now. It's 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 peeking over the horizon for me too. So yeah. Well, you look forty, so and you act forty <laughs> yeah, in your forties. I've so. been forty for the last decade. <laughs> yeah, I've been forty for like a while. Like, there's some days where I'm like, yeah, I think I can still pass for like maybe a late twenty or like early thirty or like you know you know blah 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 but then like on the inside i just feel like i'm 50 and i just want to stay home and not do anything i'm like a <laughs> pure curmudgeon i just you know, want to so. be on the couch yeah exactly speaking of the couch how's everything been you've been up to anything fun the last week um it's been a tough week yeah and i'm aware, i'm sure but well not just with that i don't know if you if you have seen what happened over the weekend with the jazz uh, I do not follow the NBA in the way that you do. Yeah. So first of all, the Jazz have just been not healthy the entire month of January. They went four and twelve in the wow. month. Wow. Yeah. I did not expect that record. They are now. They went from like comfortably in third with a shot at moving pa- moving past one or both of the teams in front of them to now basically zero shot of moving beyond third, and it's going to be tough. And they are realistically could finish as low as sixth. So Over are you the, just looking? Hold on. To, sorry, it's not I done. Gonna, I was going to ask a question: Are they just looking to get healthy for the playoffs, kind of thing? Or? Yes, that's that's a big deal. They haven't had, uh, and Rudy and Donovan did not go through practice today. They're playing tomorrow, Yikes. and then they they don't play. They play tomorrow and Friday, and then not at all over the weekend. They, they've got this stretch here where they only play twice in seven days. So at least that's nice to rest up. Donovan's been in concussion protocols for like two weeks. Oh, Rudy's that was with Donovan. He had a yeah, had a yeah. Uh, uh, Russell Westbrook elbowed him in the face. Yes. Uh, and uh yeah, and then uh Gobert um strained a calf in the Golden State game that the Jazz ended up losing by two after Gobert had to come out for the final two minutes and Kwan Looney got an offensive rebound put back and won, which was the defined like the you know, the key play down the stretch. And what a surprise it happened when the Jazz didn't have any centers playing, because at that point Hassan Whiteside is still in oh still out. Whiteside's been back but has not been good since he's come back. Uh and the big news was Sunday. When Joe Ingles planted with his left foot and his knee caved in and he tore an ACL. 
So right, 30, Angles tore an ACL. He tore his ACL. I didn't got his, know that. Got the oh. MRI yesterday. Results Yikes. came in. Honestly, if you watch it, and I, you should not. I uh, did, and I regretted it immediately. I try not to. So, any of those times where they're like, we're going to show you an injury here if you're squeamish, like, look away. Yeah. A, I don't watch it. B, I've had an injury like that and don't ever, because, like, I feel it every time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, like, I know, like, maybe not that exact injury, but I remember how I felt, you know, being rushed to the to the IR and having, like, 17 different, uh, what yeah. do you call it, like, different x-rays and stuff done to me. And they had to bring in, like, multiple different doctors. And they're like, well, we're going to try this out and hope it works. And I'm like, well, great. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just my arm. <laughs> like. <laughs> Don't need those. Yeah, <laughs> well, good thing I got a second one. It was my left, just, just to be <laughs> yeah. fair. So that is something that also worries me sometimes when I have something with my, my left arm. I'm always wondering, like, did I not do enough physical therapy when I was younger or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, continue. But it, it was it was non-contact. He was just driving to the rim, planted awkwardly, and his knee just caves into the side. And uh, it honestly looked like it could have been worse. Mm-hmm. Like, it looked like it could have been multiple tears or things like that. Like, it, it looked bad. And it looked like those football ones where you're like, that That dude's knee is done. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, uh, it was um, apparently, like, the swelling was awful. Like, it, uh, one of the Jazz Beat That's what took so long for the MRIs, I'm assuming. Uh, well, the MRI happened the next day because they were on the road. So, it had to be okay. back in, in Utah. Usually, uh, you have to, like, wait till the, the swelling goes down at least a little bit. You can't see. Yeah. So, what they have to – they actually have to wait for the swelling to go down – wait for swelling to go down and for his range of motion to come back in order for them to do the uh, the repair surgery. So, they have to actually wait a couple Ugh. weeks – they say to do the surgery right now. So he hasn't, Ugh. they haven't scheduled the surgery yet. It's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he's 34 and looked like he already had lost a step this year. Like he was having a really down year and especially a down January. Um, awkwardly enough, like he, he was involved in a bunch of trade talks and you would think the injury would put the kibosh in that. It doesn't really, because he's mainly there as a salary matcher um, because he's got an expiring $14 million deal right now. So it really could be that awkward for him where like he gets traded right after the injury, but he would he would get traded and probably immediately cut and then he would just rehab in Utah still, wouldn't have to move his family at all and then um and then could re-sign with Utah over the summer if he wanted to and I'm sure they would even if it was just sort of a, you know, a a um um who's the guy in the heat? Udonis has some kind of situation. Yeah. But yeah, losing Joe's uh is it's just it's just sad. He's uh, yeah, you he's know, like your spirit animal. Yeah, you like that guy a lot. He is just what. Yeah, one of the uh, he's been the fan favorite for years. Yeah, he. I remember some. If you don't know the story of his backstory, you know he he came up through the Australian bat like you know basketball league was good there. Went over to Europe um, and played in, in several places there. Was not particularly good. Like I think his last season in Europe, he averaged six points, three rebounds, three assists. Like you know. Not a guy you would think would become an NBA player, much less a valuable NBA player, right? But he starts, you know, you know, getting into training camps with some teams. I think he was in training camp once with the Warriors, maybe with another team. But he actually got pretty far and close to making the roster uh, in the Clippers. This is mid-2010, so this is like Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, Lob City Clippers. Lob City, yeah, yeah. And if you know anything about that team, their one weakness in their starting lineup was always their small forward. Their small forward always sucked, and they never found a good one. And so just if you just imagine, like, peak Joe Ingles on that team, They'd and he really good, yeah. emerged 16-17, which was sort of the end of, of Lob City. Um, but he was apparently the last person cut 
uh, from there. He thought he was going to make the roster. So he, his wife was flying over from Australia and he got caught while she was in air. So she lands thinking she's going to like, you know, meet her husband and like he's going to make this team and be a clipper. And he has to tell her when she lands, like, oh, I got cut while you were flying here, but gets immediately picked up by Utah, makes the roster there when they're bad. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember watching him then and I thought, like, this is a guy who's just here because we're bad. And when we get good, like he's going to be he's just keeping a seat warm. Yeah. Yeah. And just every year he would get better. Like he came in, I think his first year, he was like a 36% three point shooter, which now would be average back then was above average. Um, and then the next year he was like a 38, 39% three point shooter, which was really good. And then the next year he was a 42% three point shooter. We're like, Oh shit, we might have something here. Because this dude is six, eight. He could defend a little bit. And then he, then he started developing, uh, you know, game in the pick and roll and, you know, started, became their effective third point guard. So, like, at, you know, last year and most of this year, like, he's their third point guard, really. And um, that's one of the things where his decline was. He was not, his pick and roll offense was not nearly as efficient as it had been. And then he went into a shooting slump in January. Uh, and at that point, like, ugh. Uh, but some of his advanced numbers are look a little bit better, and he probably would have turned it around. So it's still a, definitely a loss, though not a gigantic one. You know, he's like the seventh man in the rotation, right? Uh, doesn't start. Uh, but he really is like, you know, he, he's one of the biggest voices in that locker room um, by all by all accounts and uh, is very close with the coach, Quinn Snyder, because they basically got here at the same time. Like Rudy Snyder and Joe Ingles literally basically got here all at the same time or within a year of each other. And, uh, you know, have been the, the the trio that saw this team grow from what was, you know, the worst team in the league, uh, point differential wise in 14, 15, no, 13, 14, um, which was Rudy's rookie year. And I think Joe's rookie year. Um, and for, you know, and then halfway through 14, 15, they started becoming good when they let Gobert take over the starting role, traded Ennis Cantor. And, uh, and they, they've just grown all, all through it. So, it um you know it's uh it's not good <laughs> yeah it sucks speaking of we mentioned uh you know we're talking about sports and right before we get into the show uh we mentioned football for a second have you been watching the football games these last two weeks i've watched i did not watch kansas city buffalo i didn't watch yeah. that day but yeah. i watched um i watched the two ty- uh, conference championship games sunday i watched the pretty other much yeah i watched pretty much every game for the last two weeks and if these were the only games you've seen, you would think football is the greatest sport in the <laughs> history of the world. These games have all been utterly insane, like, you know, last-second things going on. Just just so much fun. Also, the GOAT retired officially today. Uh, like, he officially, officially said it's 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 true. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady is no more. Uh, he played his first game, and I believe, what was it, 2001? Uh, he, dr- he was drafted in 99. Yeah, so... Th- it's just, okay. He he, yeah. he. I do not think he played his rookie year. I believe no, he got some. Blood, so. yeah. He got some garbage time. Um. So in in what was he? Hold on, I'm looking it up. Go ahead. He was drafted in '99, which means he, did, he. I don't think he played anything his first year, and then he got a little bit of garbage time his second year, uh-huh. and then it was his third year, which was the 0102 season when Bledsoe went down in the second game of the season. Yeah. I'm trying to... Okay, here we go. Like, most of it... I just Googled him, and it's almost all just the announcement. I'm trying to figure out... He was from Michigan. 
He yeah. played for 22 years. He's 44. Uh, I'm trying to find his actual stats here, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I, it's hard to figure. It's hard to think about that. Like, I was in high school when this guy started. I remember watching him at Michigan. You know, like this is this know, is kind he, of unreal. He was drafted in 2000. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is kind of unreal, right? Like, yeah. So his rookie year, he attempted three passes. Yeah. Completed one for six yards. Mm-hmm. And then he did not play the first game because Bledsoe was there uh, and did not start the second game, but came in because Bledsoe got injured the second game of the season, his second year. Mm-hmm. He lit- this guy, this is a guy who literally did not start in high school or college. Yeah, he he played a decent bit his last two years in college, like like a good yeah. bit, but he wasn't anything like super special. He was behind him. like Drew Henson, I think it was in the in the depth chart at Michigan. Yeah, uh, and comes both guys, in. Uh, both guys also baseball players. Yep. Because uh, this is a fun, this, this is the funniest thing. You want to hear a cool uh, baseball thing about Tom Brady? He is now the last official Expo to leave. Uh, professional, professional sports. sports. <laughs> he was drafted by the Expos in like '96 or something like that, or '97. Nice. And he's the last person that played that was a that was an Expo that is no longer playing in, in professional sports. That is kind of incredible. That's kind of awesome, yeah. actually. So, anyway, let's go ahead and move to the actual show. But like, you know, hey, it's all, it's not very often you see the goat of all time retiring. Look, I, it's not that I don't like Brady. I like to root against him. I like parody in my sports a little bit more. I actively my don't favorite. like Tom Brady. So. Unless it's, yeah, I, I don't have anything like against him personally, though he does kind of seem a little douchey, on my, in my opinion. But like, whatever. I don't like the Patriots. I don't, I, I don't like teams just always winning every time. One of my favorite tweets today went out. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I shared it on Twitter. The New York Jets just tweeted out the sentence, please let this be real. <laughs> or something along those lines and I was like this is actually great <laughs> but anyway let's go ahead and move into this uh this spoiler that we've got a good chunk of we're gonna go over a lot of cards today uh, we're gonna try to get to you know many of the ones that really spike our fancy a few of them are not actually officially spoiled yet but we might talk about them a tiny bit you know we've seen pictures of them so uh we'll, we'll try to go over as much as we can and then get to the ones that we don't get to next week along with our top eights and let's go ahead and just start with the very first one here. If anyone wants to follow along with us, we're using Mythic Spoiler, and I just have it sorted by uh, the spoiler of this set, not newest spoiler. So it's going to start with the Mythic cards. And the first one listed is a very interesting one that I just wanted to talk about for a minute. I don't think it's like particularly broken or anything, but I actually like this card and kind of the way they're going with these. And that's one of the new Planeswalkers, which is the Wandering Emperor, kind of a callback to... Uh, which which one was this? What's that? Was it with all the planeswalkers? Um, War of the Spark. I was, the say, I was supposed to say the Ravnica. Yeah, the Wanderer and War of the Spark. Also, if you notice, I'm the kind it, of guy it, who likes to roam yeah. around. Yeah. This this has no subtype. It just it's says a legendary song called the Wanderer. By the way, yeah. This has no subtype. It just says legendary planeswalker. It doesn't have legendary planeswalker Wanderer. You know, it doesn't have legendary planeswalker Tamio. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You know, um, how can you be legendary and not have a name? I guess that, like you could be the Yeti. They could do whatever. Yeah, whatever. But. So this card is two white white for a planeswalker with three loyalty. It has flash. You heard that correctly. As long as the wandering emperor entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could an instant. So the turn you play, or if you play her during your opponent's turn, you can you can use it. Plus one, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create a two two white samurai creature token with vigilance. Minus two, exile target tapped creature. You gain two life. I've heard a lot of people really low on this as a Planeswalker. I actually think this card's pretty good. I think it's an absolute bomb and limited as a... as a. It is just like... People are like, oh, it's just a glorified combat trick. And I'm like, this seems pretty good to be able to, like, in your combat step, play this 
exile your creature it's attacking me because it does exile which is important sometimes exile your thing untap activate it again now it sucks if you want to go like minus two into into make a samurai or it's dead but for four mana exile your target attacking creature gain two life put a two two into play that's not a bad card yeah but and if you have any creature in play that's a blocker that you can ambush with the plus one now you get to play it ambush their creature minus one on your turn and you've got you know the planeswalkers way ahead around and yeah. have still you know generated several cards worth of advantage so yeah th- there's definitely upside here and i'm i'm pretty high on the card same um i i think you know and i i like the card because it ventures into new space for planeswalkers uh in an interesting way that we haven't really seen before so yes, like being a combat trick is part of what this card does. And you're definitely not going to play this in a control deck that can't use that plus one ability. Because if you're not able to leverage the plus one ability, then it's literally just four mana, kill shot, and make a two-two. And I don't think that's good enough. Um, so it's and it's interesting because combat tricks are something that aggressive decks are generally interested in, but they have a very they have a very low floor. Like when a combat trick isn't relevant, it just sits in your hand. It does. Nothing. It's a dead card. Yeah. Yes. So this, when the combat part of it is irrelevant, can still have that floor of kill an attacking creature, make a two two. So now, now suddenly, what you're look if you're a creature deck where that was the ceiling of the this card in a control deck, that's the floor of it in a creature deck. And it could do a whole lot more than that, spreading counters around, you know, and we're not even, you know, getting into playing this with like uh, Conclave Mentor. And now you're putting two counters on things, you know, and, and in the scales or something like that. So where you're developing synergies, um, you know, blinking this with Yorian potentially, uh, because if, you know, once it enters the battlefield, you you know, on your end step, you can use it again. Uh, and uh, because it doesn't say cast this turn, it says enter the battlefield. So there's a lot, there's other little synergies that you can build uh, around with it. Um, I think the card is pretty good. It it just doesn't read like a normal Planeswalker. So I can understand why some people are disappointed. Like, you know, you read two white, white Planeswalker, you kind of think like you're going to get Gideon. Uh, this card is, ve- is a very different card than Gideon, but I think it's a good one. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of said the, the homage to War of the Spark for more reasons than just the 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 obvious one of they had the wanderer this feels almost like a war of the spark planeswalker and the fact that like it doesn't really doesn't have an ultimate you know like it just does some stuff it has like a technically a um a, a passive ability you know it has like this ability on it that's not a that's not a uh, loyalty ability so yeah definitely like the card uh next one one of the more effed up cards in this set in my opinion that's jin kataxis process tyrant i'm sorry progress tyrant uh, it's five blue blue for a five five. It's a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. Yeah, the, you you heard Phyrexian right. There is some Phyrexian stuff going on here. Now this one is a little wordy, so make sure you pay attention because uh, this card's kind of bonkers. All the cards are wordy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kamigawa they like to read. So um, here we go. Whenever you cast an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, you know, copy of a permanent spell becomes a token, obviously. Uh, whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability only triggers once per turn. So it's also going to counter their first spell of the turn that's not a creature. So th- th- this card's pretty nuts in the fact that like it kind of protects itself. And the fact that like you need two removal spells you know, to kill it. 
And then if you ever get value off of it, I don't see people winning off the, like winning against this card. Yeah. Um, I The fact that it uh, requires two removal spells is the only thing that really gives me hope for it. If this yeah, was same. a seven mana same. creature that provided no immediate value, required you to untap, and they could just kill with any sort of Heartless Act-y, terminate kind of spell, mm-hmm. um, then completely unplayable. You yeah, know, dies to Doomblade. Yeah, it's just like Commander it. nonsense. Yeah. You know, Dies to Doomblade has become a meme, but there's a it's, nugget it's of real information yeah. there, right? Like, the problem with creatures, can, you know, Dying to Doomblade can be a death knell for a card if it's a card that's more expensive than the common removal spells in the metagame and doesn't provide immediate value. You basically can't play creatures like that, you know, outside of very specific situations. Um, and that that's what this would be if that were the case. But there is some inherent card advantage. There is even, you know, a higher chance that you get to untap with it and then you get to start doing really, really cool stuff. Um, still, I think at seven mana, there's just a lot more powerful things in terms of catching you up on the battlefield. That's the other thing you're worried about. If you're tapping out for seven, using seven mana to cast one spell, um, you know, that means you've made a lot of land drops. You know, the, a lot of the time you're doing that, you're doing it from behind and you need it to catch you up. Cards like Genesis Ultimatum, you know, will catch you up in that spot a lot of the time. But this card really won't. It's a 5-5 five, five that blocks one creature. Um, so I'm worried about that. That said, I could see reanimating it. Which is something that Corey brought up when uh, when asked somebody about asked about this card on Versus. Um, I really wish Imperial Rights were in Pioneer. Um, because I think rightsing this card in Pioneer would be pretty cool. Um, and doing it in Modern is risky because it doesn't counter creatures. So if your opponent has Solitude, then yeah. you know, you're know you just kind of boned. I was going to point that out. I'm glad you got there that Solitude is a, is a card for this or whatever. But yeah, overall, powerful card though. It's a powerful card. I doubt... It, it sees play, but there are some situations where it could. I, I think if you if you have a chance to reanimate it in Pioneer, where there's no Solitude and there's no like Gristlebrand, it could be a good chance, a uh, good mm-hmm. opportunity for that. But as a seven mana card, there's just better options. Yeah. Uh, next card this is going to be a black card that isn't really officially spoiled yet, but we've got a full picture of it. This card's real, and this this one's pretty interesting. This is Nashi Moon Sage uh, Scion. It's one black black for a three two legendary creature Rat Ninja. So we got Splinter chilling here. Uh, it's got Ninjutsu for three and a black for people who haven't played in like Kamigawa or Kamigawa cards before. Ninjutsu means that uh, you can take a creature that is attacking and unblocked, pay the Ninjutsu cost of the creature that's in your hand. And replace the uh, the unblocked creature with the card that has ninjutsu. Now, keep in mind this is an activated ability, mm-hmm. and part of the cost of the ability is returning the a creature the, the unblocked creature to your hand. So your opponent doesn't get to kill the unblocked creature after right. you announce the ninjutsu cost, uh, but they do have a window to use an instant speed removal spell on the creature that you have now ninjutsued onto the battlefield. Now, this one does have a quite an ability on it. It says, whenever you know this deals combat damage to a player, exile the top two cards... I'm sorry, the top card of each player's library. Until end of turn, you may play one of those cards. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its mana value rather than paying its mana cost. When I see cards like this, this is, the, this is kind of scary because this could straight up end a game right away. Like attacking on turn three or turn four, you know, if you have little mana accelerating some creatures and you're like, hit you... And the top card of your deck is like Primeval Titan or something. You're like, all right, pay six, cast Primeval Titan. Good luck catching back up. 
you know, now you have to deal with whatever I cast off this card. This card is still in play, and there's just a lot of stuff going on. So while I'm usually not a big, huge fan of cards like this, because it is a 3-2, it dies to every removal spell in every format, right? Yeah. This ability is extremely powerful early in the game, and being able to pay life instead of, or you have to pay life instead of the casting cost, is, while can be a downside at times, can utterly dominate a game early. Yeah, and and for those who you know don't remember the days when we played a lot with ninjutsu, you know th- there is a lot of risk on that turn where you go for it, and uh, you know if they have the removal spell, suddenly you've now traded even on cards, and you're way behind on mana because you paid the mana for the ninjutsu, and you now you you've essentially cost yourself the mana you spent to play the initial creature that you return. Really tempo negative, yeah, yeah. So there is a huge tempo swing. Uh, uh, on the turn where you go for it, if, you know, it's sort of either way, because you're either getting a really big benefit from the the trigger. Most of the ninjutsu creatures have some ability that, you know, when they hit the opponent, uh, and that's pretty powerful, or they're, you know, setting you really far back. So this is a card that is, it's very high variance to me. And uh, when I'm looking at that, at a card that's that high variance, I'm thinking, how often am I realizing the downside here? And that's where the problem of the two toughness comes in. All that red removal that they like, is it Phoenix Dex and Pioneer play? Unholy Heat and Modern, even if they don't have um, Delirium, Delirium are, are, is, it's all going to answer it. So it's hard to go for it, and it costs four mana. Uh, you know, standard, I could, I could see, but obviously in standard, you're just not going to hit as powerful of stuff, but it's still going to be good. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm sort of. I'm at a place where I could I could go either way on this card. I think it could see play if we you know if, if you find yourself in decks that are able to just get it through a lot. Like maybe you just play this with a pile of fucking discard and just take out every player's hand, and then this is your threat, and you give them like one turn right to catch back up. Um, you know maybe there's a way you can you know it's all about trying to mitigate that variance and and you know make sure this thing connects. But there's definitely a payoff there if you figure it out. This is one of those cards that every time it's against me, I'm going to get utterly ranched by it. And then every time I play with it, it's going to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. That, that was Bo- That's Bomat Courier for me, by the yeah. way. Same. Like the number of times my opponent would just have turn one Bomat Courier on the play when I and kept a slow hand. Off of it. Yeah. Anytime I kept a slow hand on the draw, turn one Bomat Courier. Anytime yep. I had Bomat Courier, I was always on the draw and my opponent just had Thraben Inspector. I was going to like, play a one-two. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next card we're going to preview is the red legendary creature dragon spirit from the set. This is another homage to the original Kamigawa. There was a legendary dragon spirit creature in every color. I'm going to talk about the new ones, but I'm also going to try to remember all the names of the old ones off the top of my head. It's a little uh, thing for me while we're doing this because I played the set. The red one in the original set was Ryusei. And so this one is at Sushi. It's AT Sushi. Yeah. Atsushi. Uh, the, the Blazing Sky. Now, one thing that I like about these so far is they seem to be a little better on the color requirement what was the ryusei's full name or you say the rising star evening no evening star was black or you say the rising morning no rising tide was blue okay so i'll do this all right so it was are you say the rising star or something like that and then it was kokushu the evening star was black it was kaiga the tide star or the title star, star was blue yosei the morning star was white and then it was Hold on, the green one, I can see it in my head. It's Jugen, the evening star. Evening was Kokusho, you already had that. Yeah. The problem is you're wrong on what you say. 
I got all the names. What's what's the full name of Raise? Raise is the Fallen Star. The Fallen Star. Okay, Ju- sure. Jugon is, is the Rising. Jugon is the Falling. Jugon is the Rising Star. Which was they did they did Jugon dirty in the original set. So let's hope the green one's a little better this time around. Anyway, this one I, I like them because these are a little more aggressively costed, even though yeah. they're harder to cast. The original ones had like some single pips in their cost. This uh, one was double. Red was single. Blue red was, was single, single, single. White yeah. was double. Black was double. And, and green, green was triple. Was triple. Even yeah, though it was the was worst really one, it was really they bad. really anyway. host green. Don't so worry, one... they gave they gave green like all the best cards in Kamigawa yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know, th- they were the only color that was allowed to play other colors. Yeah. So, well, I mean, if if you play Commander, you should know Kamigawa because there's like a million green cards from Kamigawa and Commander, like yeah. Secure Tribelder, Kadama's Reach, like all those cards. Like Kadama's Reach was before Cultivate, so like this was like oh yeah, you know, format defining. All right, anyway. I still have my Kadama's Reaches from 20 years ago. I still have my original Tri-Builder somewhere that got altered into Ninja Turtles, like the original ones. I need to go find them. They're they're mangled. I played that card a lot. Anyway. Oh, yeah. uh, This is a 4-4 for two red-red flying trample. When it dies, choose one. Exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards or create three treasure tokens. I think that this one is probably not playable. There is a ton of really, really good creatures and or planeswalkers at four mana that have better effect i think than this is when they when they come to play or when they die like i don't see a deck that's really going to take advantage of the three treasure tokens list that's exactly what you're doing like maybe in like commander or something like that and then getting the x the top two cards your library yeah that's pretty good but like i'm not sure i want to invest four mana and a card into getting this tempo positively killed and me revealing like a land and like a shock off the top of my deck that's not a good that's not a good thing for me. Like, I'm not saying this is unplayable, but I'm, I'm not seeing it. We've had so many good creatures at four and red the last year. Yeah, I, I agree with your first part. That's that's my issue with the card is that it just has a lot of competition, and I don't think it's better than the competition. I do think it's a good card. I think it would be standard playable in a lot of standard formats uh, or and maybe even Pioneer playable in some formats, but probably not. The, the big issue right now um, is that they have – it has to deal with – Fading Hope and Divide by Zero, I guess in Alchemy. They just banned it in Standard, but Alchemy is the one more people are playing. So what, you know, dealing with those cards is going to be tough. Maybe the form, you know, maybe the metagame completely changes. Um, I would have liked to see this be a, a leaves the battlefield trigger instead of dies. I guess they're all dies, though. Um, and maybe they didn't want them being abused with, like, blink effects. But, you know, who cares? Um, the, the big issue is that I, I think there's not only, like, just straight up, you know, I'm not sure if this card compares favorably with whatever the alchemy card is. I don't know. The, I can't remember the name of it. That, like, makes a land start shocking them every turn. Yeah, that yeah. card's good. Yeah, like, that card's really, messed really up. Good. So, like, you, you're you already behind the eight ball. And it, it's, I think it's it pretty easy for... Busted. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy for a lot of people to get off, a, you know, to answer this card without even triggering it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, uh, you know, exile effects or bounce effects, it's just too easy. Do you want to tell us about the next one? And this one's a, a pretty cool little uh, different take on a planeswalker. Yeah, we got one of the major, major mechanics of the set um, that I think people are being a little bit too uh, chicken littlely about. <laughs> um, I, and I'm kind of excited to see what they do with it. But this is Tomio Completed Sage. This is a legendary planeswalker. Starts with five loyalty. Costs two, a green, a Simic Phyrexian hybrid, and a blue to cast. And the Simic Phyrexian Hybrid Mana can be paid with either a blue, a green, or two life. But if you pay the two life, Tomio enters with two fewer loyalty counters. It'll be a three instead of a five starting loyalty. 
Then it can plus one to tap up to one target artifact or creature. It doesn't tap during its controller's next untap step, so lock something down for a turn. You can minus X to exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. And then minus seven, create Tomio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast cost two less to cast and tap draw card. Uh, I think this card, I just like this direction for Phyrexian mana. I think they're not going. I think you're not going to see the mistake they made in um, in New Phyrexia, where Phyrexian mana was next to colorless, so they basically just destroyed the color pie and the cards that got pushed in that realm. The you know the mental missteps, the dismembers, even gut shot and mutagenic growth, like have, you know all all of the one the mana ones have seen some play. All, all even even, even marrow like shards, corrosive gale and standard at one point when people were playing lingering souls. So. Um, I think that I think you're going to see more of these things where you now have an option. You can pay four mana for this Planeswalker or five mana, and it gets better either way. And that's really just cool. That's just a, a different sort of different way of, of doing kicker, really. Just like every mechanic, it's what is it? Is every mechanic is either kicker or split cards, right? Yeah. 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 This is this is a kicker mechanic, so, but a cool. Um, as as much as I don't think this is like a super you know i'm not a huge fan of this card in the fact that like i don't see myself building around it i don't think it's like a 10 or anything like that i love the design of this card i think it's really well done i think you kind of hit on that with like the completed mechanic because at first i didn't even realize that there was another sentence there that said you know if this if you do this with you where you pay life it comes with too few loyalty which is really important because instead of playing this let's say no cheating is going in you know no mana acceleration Instead of turn five, you're playing at turn four. And so it has three loyalty instead of five. And that's a better designed card. You know, because, like, generally, you're in green and blue. You have this card. You're playing it on turn three, even though it's a five drop. You know, if it's some main acceleration, you're going to pay two life. You're going to pay this as a as three man. And I just don't know if I see this having a big enough effect on the game that you'd want out of this card. Well, there are some cool things you can do with it, obviously. Yeah, th- I think this is a card that fits into very specific sort of mid-rangey value decks, right? Because it can, the, like, those are decks that can sometimes get run over. So this helps you like lock your opponent's stuff down, buy you some time, and then when you're ready to start doing your thing, the minus X or the minus seven really do do that. Um, so th- there are certain decks that it can fit in, but I this is not a card that's going to carry that kind of you know archetype, you know. This is a card that goes into the same decks that Ephemerate goes into, you know, but it's not powerful enough for those older formats. Is there enough stuff like that in Standard to... You'll definitely get played there. Yeah. So, like somewhere. Someone will find a deck for it, most likely. Yeah. yeah. I'm worried about, you know, things going over the top, though. They've nerfed a lot of the Alrun's Epiphany stuff. Um, you know, in Al- Alchemy or Straight Up Bandit in, in regular Standard. So there should be room for those kind of mid-range decks, you know, until somebody finds the next card that just goes way over the top. But... Um, that's the, like, that's the kind of range of stuff it fits in, which is a pretty narrow range, but it's a very good card in those decks because it helps you when you're behind and helps you when you're ahead. Love cards that can do both. Yeah. Uh, next one, we have the white legendary dragon spirit. And I'm just gonna say, is this AO? Is that how you, you, you pronounce it? That's how I would. I have no idea if that's right. The name is literally AO, the dawn sky, uh, three white, white for a five, four flying vigilance. When it dies, choose one. Uh, look at the top seven cards of your library. Put any number of non-land permanent cards with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest in the bottom in any order. Or put two plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or vehicle. This one's pretty solid for a white creature. 
you know, it gives you some decent value when it's dead. Because here's the thing. The way I envision using this is like this is the top of my curve in like a creaturish deck that has a bunch of like ones, twos, threes, maybe some fours kind of thing. And if that's true, if you're building your deck that way, both these abilities are great for that, right? Like if you get hit and you don't have anything left, like if you get raft and this is in this cards in play, then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go get two creatures off the top yeah. seven. You know, I'll, like I'll get my Brutal Cathar, my Usher of the Fallen. I'll kill yeah. that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or if like you have a board and you play this and they're like, kill it. You're like, well, all right, well, the rest of my board is just gigantic now. Yeah. You know, and so. And if you've got a board and they're under pressure, like this card is really threatening a five power flyer. This is usually the kind of card they want to kill first. So and if you can sacrifice this for value as well as a huge combat trick for you out of nowhere, you like play this, sacrifice it. My four creatures in play are now they're not two ones. They're four threes, you know, things like that. So definitely, I just worry about costing five. Yeah, right? exactly. I think it's too good at four and at five. It might be a, a half a step behind. You know, we yeah. talk about that, that half mana thing. This is a 4.5 card. Yeah, like this is, and I just think about the, in, in standard at least, the mono white deck, which is the natural home for it, like that deck's curve stops at 4. Yeah, like casting a 5 drop in that deck is, is can be rough. And so, yeah. so I, I can see this card making some play somewhere, not in any kind of like older format, unless something kind of crazy is going on. But, or if someone finds a way to really abuse the first ability, some kind of combo-ish way, but like that's... I'm sure there's someone out there that's done it, but that's asking for a lot of moving parts, and I'm not the person for that deck. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it It's hard for me to envision a deck that wants to curve up to five and regularly does so, but also regularly puts two creatures onto the battlefield off the first mode of the trigger, which is what I want to be doing to make the card really good. If you can find a way to, to bridge that gap and build a deck that does both those things, then you've got something. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely see myself maybe playing it in, in some of those decks. Now, the next card we, we want to talk about, this is a card you're pretty high on and you liked a lot, right? Did you write yes. an article about this one? That, in my article this week, which is live right now, is about this card. This is Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh. Two blue-blue, four starting loyalty, legendary Planeswalker Tezzeret. It has a static ability. It says the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate. Uh, then three loyalty abilities. First, plus one. Draw two cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an artifact card. Minus two, target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base, power, and toughness 4-4. Four, four. You get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. Um, so, and that's a minus six. Uh, I think this card is quite good. That, that said, static ability is scary. Yes. Uh, and so I think... Uh, the awkward part of it is I don't think there's a deep enough base of artifacts to build the deck where Tezzeret is maximized in standard or alchemy. I And I don't think it's powerful enough for a modern because modern is just so hyper efficient these days. Um, but I think Pioneer is the sweet spot for this card. So I went, my article is all about, you know, figuring out this card in Pioneer. There's so much cool stuff to do with that uh, static ability. Sacrificing clues. And, and it's oh, each nice. turn. So you if you do you can do something in your turn like equip an equipment for two less. Then on their turn, sack a clue for two less. Yeah, that's really now good. you've saved four total mana over the course of of a Gain turn a cycle. Cards. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and you're just cycling through your deck. And the the other key thing that makes me like this card is that it can be a threat or it can generate card advantage. So the plus one, you know, you're often drawing two, discarding a card, and that's better than drawing a card. Um, and you know, maybe you're discarding even a scrappy scrounger. 
uh, you know, and then returning it, generating two, you know, plus two cards at that point. And then, you, but it can also be a threat. So, like, if you just have a mopey artifact sitting on the battlefield, like a prophetic prism or whatever, you could minus two and attack their planeswalker or just have two threats at that point. Now I've got a four, four that you really don't want to use spot removal on because it was a cantripping shitter of an artifact. Or, and I've still got this planeswalker you have to deal with. It's pretty fast to get to the ultimate. The ultimate's pretty cool. Um, so basically this card has four abilities and they're all relevant and all good as a reasonable starting loyalty cost four. It's just a question of if there's a strong enough base of artifacts around. And I think in pioneer there is. So I agree with you hundred percent. This, this is already one of the ones that I might actually have at number one on my list. And the fact that a, I think it's extremely powerful, right? When you look at all these cards, it checks off most of the boxes that you want from a planeswalker, even though I don't think they should design them that way anymore. Well, it can't technically like defend itself because it, it doesn't have like destroy target creature written on it. It does have card advantage, a way to win the game, and a very, very powerful yeah. emblem, right? It can also emblem, just make a blocker if you need to. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It kind of defends itself. It doesn't create something. Like you need something else, right? Like you, you can't play it on an empty board. You can't just tap four lands, play this, create something, right? You have to have a clue or... You know, like you have to cast hard evidence or something along the line, which is a card, you know, that might go along with this. We'll see. Um, this is a card that is very interesting to me because I do think this is a, one of the rare cards that comes along that can spawn its own kind of deck. Like you could just like a whole new deck could come out of this card. I think that there will possibly be enough things that you can play in standard, maybe not immediately after this set, but maybe after the next one. When I'm saying, because there's a lot, a lot of like, artifact stuff that's going on in this set that have activated abilities and while and while they aren't super powerful a lot of them i think are just good enough that you might be able to make a weirdo like mid-range deck where you're doing a whole bunch of stuff of like reconfigure that's an ability we'll get into very soon that's coming up in the set and a couple of the other stuff while also you're you know you're playing cheap artifacts that do some cool stuff like you were saying and you kind of like animate them and do a bunch of things and it might be this weird, like, mid-rangey blue-white deck I'm kind of envisioning in my head. Maybe blue-white-red. Like, we'll see. Is this but a this card... Topper and an Insole deck? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I think it's going to be possibly very good in Pioneer. I can see someone playing this in Modern. I really can. Like, I could I could see a copy of it getting played in, like, an Urza deck or something. You know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is a card when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, this one has one of the higher ceilings of all the cards that we've seen in the set. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is Channel is also an activated ability. Mm-hmm. So if you so look the at, artifact has channel. Yeah. So if we look at like moon snare prototype. The, okay. Let's, yeah. Let's say I don't know that one off the top of my head. There's a, a common. I'll, I'll read it. I've got it up. Sure. But, but I think these two cards are basically a combo. Like they come together in a lot of decks, unless you're playing a ton of creatures and you can play drum. But moon snare prototype is an artifact across a single blue. It says tap and tap an untapped artifact or oh, creature yeah, you control yeah. at a colorless. So, you know, with your cheap artifacts, you can ramp into your Tesseret. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. And then has channel, four and a blue, discard Moonsnare prototype. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Yeah, just so totally now this lost costs, something. Now this yeah. costs three mana if you have Tesseret on the battlefield. And you're just getting, and you're, you know, one of the issues with these decks is they have to include a lot of like mopey artifacts and then all their payoffs. They usually don't have a ton of room for interaction. So shoehorning interaction on the back end of one of your accelerating artifacts is really nice. And now with Tezzeret, you've got it at a cost that is very reasonable. Yeah. You just made it a modal card at that point, like a good one. Yeah. All right. So the next one we have, uh, this is the black legendary creature dragon spirit. It's three black black for a five five. So the biggest one we've seen so far, um, five mana, flying in menace, and then it has to choose one. Um, each opponent discards two cards and loses two life. 
Put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard on the battlefield under your control. Lose two life. You lose two life. I'm going to read the second ability again real quick just so everybody realizes it says any graveyard. Put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You lose two life. Easily the most powerful one we've seen, right? Um, Yeah, I would say so. I Here's the thing. It's a 5-5 five, five flyer menace for five, right? That's... Good enough, I think, for a rate standard. I mean, we can do better, obviously, with, like, green creatures and stuff. But I think it's big enough and hard enough to deal with. That, like, you can't chump this thing. Yeah, it it's, checks it's gold fan dragon. Right. If if they kill it and they only have, like, two cards in their hand, like, late in the game, you're like, all right, just lose both of them lose two life, right? Or if they kill this and the game's been going on, it does say non-dragon, so you can't just go get your other copy of, you know, Jinji that's been in the graveyard. But, like, I'm assuming you have something somewhere, Right. And, like, there's some really cool stuff you can do with that. You're like, hey, uh, reanimate this Jinkataxis that's in my graveyard. I don't know. Like, it's in black. You probably got some way to discard stuff for value. But I can see this one definitely making some decks in, like, standard, you know, any of the standard-related, standard-adjacent formats. I think I'm going to start calling them that. Yeah. The standard-adjacent formats. I could see this possibly making it into Pioneer in a, in a deck into something. But this one seems like one of the ones that has, like... This is the first one that I've seen where I've looked at both abilities and I've been like, yeah, you know, like I'm like, those those are powerful, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think that it is the best collection of abilities. My thing with all of with this entire cycle is it needs to ha- see a standard format that is about grinding marginal card advantage, which we haven't seen in a while. But that's not to say that, you know, it can't come back. We've seen a lot of the nerfs, of, especially in All Runs Epiphany, which I think is the big offender in preventing that kind of format. And I think that's really what standard should be about. Um, so I hope that standard becomes like that. And if that's the case, like, I think all of these cards are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as we said, the red one has problems of competition. Junji, I think, is the best of the th- at least of the three that I've seen or that we've talked about. Uh, the other two actually are one's officially previewed and the other one is unofficially <laughs> uh, previewed. So that we, we've seen them all. And honestly, I, I kind of want to say it's the best one. The, the blue one's pretty good. Tell you what, let's just go ahead and go to the blue one and the green one real quick. All right, so the blue yeah. one is Kyari? I, 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 Kyari? I would, I would... Kyrie? Kyrie? I would, like, I would think Kyrie, but I'm, I'm not... You know, these are all names that are supposed to be, like, vaguely Japanese, and I know nothing about the Japanese there, language. Yeah, there's good... I'm not pronouncing one of the syllables correctly, I'm sure. But anyway, it's the Swirling Sky. This one is six mana for a 6-6. Six, six, flying Ward 3. So that's actually pretty good right ward three is a very good thing to have on a creature like this we've seen this a lot in the blue creatures lately your stuff's gonna you know cost more it has the dying trigger um return any number of target non-land permanents a total mana value six or less to their owner's hands that doesn't say opponents you can do your own uh then, then the second one is mill six cards return up to two target instant and or sorcery cards from a graveyard to your hand i like this one a decent bit too now, six mana is a lot to pay for this. That's, I think, what's going to hold it back is, like, you know, we're pretty far into the game by turn six, and you're not getting you're not getting immediate value uh, unless you're b- bouncing some stuff from there. It's like getting stuff back into your hand might not be good enough. But depending on what kind of deck you got this in, like, you know, I'm thinking about those red, uh, those red-blue decks in standard right now that just la- lost Auburn's Epiphany, that just lost, um, what do you call it, uh, Divide Bazira, so they lost some power and some ways to win. But you've just got a ton of spells in that deck, right? And you're still running uh, iteration to like you know copy some stuff. This is a card that hey, you get two copies of those back. Or if you're still playing in a format that has um, a divide by zero, getting those cards back with this card can be pretty powerful. Yeah, I and what I like about this is that at six mana, if you're playing it from behind, 
there's a good chance it sticks because your opponent needs to have probably six mana to kill it. I would say at least five for, yeah, for the ward three, uh, but five or six mana. And if you're that far behind, you're at least able to buy yourself more time with the first mode. And if you don't need to buy yourself time, then you have the option to generate a bunch of card advantage as opposed to just having two modes that generate some card advantage. So it's hard. It's this one seems like the hardest to tempo out. Um, you know, the, the white one is also somewhat hard to tempo out as long as you solve the issue of having a deck that curves to five but can, you know, hit off the trigger consistently. Uh, but that's why I think that's such, you know, the, the key puzzle for the for the white one. Uh, in which case, you know, that one goes way up in my estimation. But this one doesn't require that much from you. You just need to, you know, play a reasonable number of spells. Um, so not hard to realize its potential there. So, but it, it's the hardest one to, to tempo out. Like I can imagine a lot of the time tapping up for Junji and them killing it and just like discarding the two cards and you're too far behind. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit underestimating it, but that, that's me intentionally being pessimistic about it. I think you would make your deck that like you'd have an, you'd have enough stuff in your deck, uh, a density of creatures that you're probably going to have a target at all times to bring back into play. And like, true, true. going to affect yeah. the battle. battle so that, that's you your way of, of stopping, of still having a blocker. So that's true. So even, even the black one has that a little bit. So does the green one that we'll just get to. But, um, so I guess they all sort of have that except for the red one, really, which is probably why the red one is the worst one. I would, I would say the red one is the worst one, which is weird for me to say when it's the cheapest one. Normally, my instinct is to say the cheapest one is the best one. Sure, sure. Let's go ahead and talk about the green one. It's three green green for something boundless sky, I think is what it's called. You can't see the yeah. beginning of these words. Um, it's got flying and death touch. Uh, it's a four four, like I said, for three green green. Um, when it when it dies, you get to choose one. Search your library for up to three, three land cards, not basics, three land cards. Reveal them, put them in your hand, and shuffle. And then uh, create an XX green spirit token where X is the number of lands you control. How yeah. do you feel about this one? Because these don't jump off the page, but these are okay abilities. So the, the thing I think is cool about that first ability is that it's any land. So you could find right. copies of these legendary lands with a channel and mm -hmm. effectively mm -hmm. look for spells. Draw spells. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. you know, if you're a two-color deck, you find one of each and then a land because you want an extra land drop to make. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, you've done pretty well. So I think the green one is sneaky good. Yeah, I think so um, too. Yeah. And I think it's also one of the easiest ones to just like, you know, force into the graveyard if you want to get that value because of the death touch ability. Um, so, which is also, you know, sneakily valuable. So, I, I, the green one to me, I agree. Like it, when you read it, it doesn't jump off the page, but I bet it's going to play better than it reads. Uh, I'm going to go to the next card real quick, and then after that, we're going to go into uh, a cycle of cards I like. But this is another Mythic that we kind of uh, went past real quick. Just I, I want to talk about this one because it, it has the new ability from the set. And this is Kadama of the West Tree, another throwback to the original uh, Kamigawa. When are we going to get Kadama of the Northeast Tree? That's what I want to know. All right, Kadama of <laughs> the West Tree, two and a green for a legendary Kadama creature of the North spirit. by Northwest Tree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just right? a Hitchcock parody. There we <laughs> go. I, I found a card for your next unset. Kadama, the Wizards. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Anyway, okay. <laughs> this one's a 3-3 three, three for 3. It's 2 and a green. Legendary Creature Spirit. It has reach for some reason. Uh, they need to have a creature with secret reach. Yeah, because it doesn't look like it has reach at all. It's like this lumbering thing walking around in a, in a uh, forest. All right, anyway. Modified Creatures you control have trample. Uh, now, what Modified is, is equipment, auras you control, and counters are modifications. So anything you have that creature that has equipment on it, auras... Or counters means that that creature is now considered modified. So this is pretty cool because it gives you like the steampunk feel. You know, when people like they put some you know mechanical enhancements into their body 
you know, like that kind of thing. But and it says whenever a modified creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. Um, we'll have to see on this kind of card. It's asking a lot. And then the ability, I don't know if this payoff is good enough. Yeah, like you, you, so, like the ideal curve is you know play a one drop creature, turn two, enchant it, or like you know turn two. I guess I guess with Luminarch Aspirant, maybe we got something right. One drop sure. Aspirant, this card is a nice curve. But now you're like a green white aggro deck, and like what have you done? You've gotten another land. But Aspirant deck's usually really low curve, so I agree with you. I, I don't really see it. Uh, I imagine this is more of a, uh, you know, a, a commander card um, wh- where you can really exploit the synergies there. Um, I do not think it'll see competitive play, but I'm, it's been pretty clear for several years now that WotC has been trying to push modifications as, you know, playable. There's always, you know, equipment themes in Boros and things like that. And I've been trying to make these decks work. They haven't really. Um, but, you know, they're going to keep trying and, and maybe by overlapping the synergies, we can uh, get something that, that sure. makes sense. No, 100%. And like, speaking of trying, let's go ahead and talk about the other ability in the set too. I'm just going to read off a card right after this one. So you get to kind of understand, you know, where this set's going. This one is Cloudsteel Kirin. It's two and a white for a 3-2 artifact creature equipment Kirin. You heard that right. It's an artifact creature, but it's also an equipment. And we'll, we'll get to how that works. It's got flying. So it's a 3-2 flyer for three white creature i'm already kind of in here um it says equipped creature has flying and you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game so it's platinum angel and it has the new ability reconfigure which costs five uh this means uh five attached to target creature you control or unattached from a creature reconfigure only as a sorcery while attached this isn't a creature okay so i'm gonna try to make this easy for y'all it's like it's an equipment this is literally equip, except it no longer is a creature when it goes on to another creature. It just becomes yeah. an equipment. Th- this is the artifact version of Bestow, really. Yes. Right? The equipment yes. version of Bestow is how I've been thinking about it. And you may think, like, why didn't they just, you know, give it an equip cost? Uh, there are some rules reasons why that doesn't work. The number one being an equipment cannot be equipped if it is a creature. <laughs> right. It's uh, literally so it, in the actual rule. Yes, that it, is. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what w- by creating a new keyword reconfigure, they can, you know, make it lose the creature type, the creature super type as, you know, while it's being, uh, while it's equipped, that way it can stay equipped and, and it can work. There's also the issue uh, where they want these to be able to, you want, they want you to be able to use them as creatures if you want to. And that's why the reconfigure uh, ability has that clause to pay the mana to also just unattach. You can't yeah. do that with a regular equipment. You have to, you have to equip to something yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, you can't just, you know, throw your yeah, boots on the just, ground and leave them yeah. there. You can't just drop your sword. Someone else has to have the sword. Yeah, you have exactly. to hand it off. It's like football. You can't just drop the ball. That's a fumble. You lose. You yeah. have to actually hand it to someone else. Exactly. Here, because you're dropping something that is now sentient again, you're allowed <laughs> sure. to do it. Um so yeah so you know works somewhat similarly but it has to be a little bit different because the rules of magic are very complicated so and these are cool cards too because like it's almost like a modal card right like it's got multiple things it can do it's a little more valuable than just a creature we we played with lion sash on versus today and i i did some cool stuff with it so i think that card's really good that's one of my that's one of my high picks for the set let's talk about uh this rare cycle though that they have in the set the invoke cards uh, they're, they've got my name all over them, if you, if you didn't see that coming. Uh, they're very expensive instants and sorceries that do really cool stuff. You know, the cards that I like. 
Um, let's start with the red one. This one's Invoke Calamity. Um, all of them are going to have like quad mana in their mana cost, though we haven't seen the green one yet. So this is one red, 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 instant. You may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana cost. If those spells we put in the graveyard, exile them instead, exile invoke calamity. I love this card, Ross. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's like got my name all over it. I love spells decks. This one's a really sweet one. You kind of like in a way you kind of get a little mana boost, right? Like you're spending five to possibly spend six because you can get up to six converting mana costs. I know you're going to be, I'm not saying this is like, you know, format defining. I'm saying I like the card personally. It, it, it does it, some it, cool stuff. This is stuff. a finale of promise for X equals three. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you get a little more optionality. You can play a five mana spell in a one mana. You can play two instants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From your hand is not something I would want to do with the card. Right. Well, it does allow you to play a sorcery at instant speed though. Right. From your hand. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some some small leeway there. It's probably not yeah. going to come up too much, but you might be able to like, uh, what's the three mana sorcery that learns? You might be able to cast that from your hand yeah, on a creature land or something. This one, this one has some play to it. Like when you see it, you're like, this card can play. You know, and like I, I wouldn't be surprised if a copy or two showed up in a like a red blue spells deck kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, this is not a card you want to play a lot of because right. if you flood on them, then you don't have enough cards to feed to each of them. Uh, so they they uh, they um, sort of scavenge not scavenger they they compete with each other. I guess I should yeah. say. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- this is like the spice top end of your curve, um, but yeah, powerful effect for sure. Um, Hard for me to imagine these cards ending up in multicolor decks with the yeah. strict mana costs, at least in in standard adjacent formats. I like that term, by the way. I'm I'm using it. Yeah, I I've, I've trademarked it, but you can use it. I think it's yeah. really good. It works. Um, the blue one, I, but only uh, during the podcast. If I'm outside sure. the podcast, I gotta pay. <laughs> sure, sure. The blue one. Uh, this is a translation that we have so far. This one's Evoke Whirlwind. It's a sorcery. One blue, 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 blue. Gain control of target artifact or creature. Untap it. That's it. Um, not super excited by this, but it's still fine. It's a powerful effect. Obviously, a bomb and limited if you can cast this. But generally, cards like this in constructed, there needs to be a good reason for you to have and play a card like this. So very, maybe very matchup specific, but I'm not really seeing this one. Um, I'm a little higher on this card, I guess, than you are. I uh, I think about I think about the issue with mind control effects in general, and it's that you know. One that they're the usually enchantments, yeah. and you can just kill them and get that's true. Undo everything. This one you can't, and then also being able to untap it so the creature you take can block mm-hmm. immediately. That, that's so a that big deal. It's a yeah. pretty big swing. It, um, you know, my, the one issue is that it, it's hard to play this card in a two color deck. Yeah. Um, I, I swear I just turned this phone to silent. It's fine. I real, I actually did. My phone was on silent when that happened. Well, that's that's. I don't okay, know. I don't, there's got to got to be a deal. setting I haven't set up yet. Yeah, it's New not phone. a big deal. Um, so uh, Anderson Leclerc just needed to know that it was okay to use Serrano peppers when the recipe called for chili peppers. Like, yes, Anderson, Serrano is a chili pepper. There's your official. Um, there's your official. It's, it's honestly probably the one I use the most because it's always at grocery stores and I like the heat level. Um, but yeah, I got. I think, I think this is a good card. The, the problem is it's hard for me to imagine a home for it because it's rare that you see mono blue decks, right? And usually, if you see mono blue decks, they're pretty aggressive. So yeah, no, that, sure. that's my worry for the card is that it's it's the kind of card that wants to go in a control deck, but control decks you know have a hard time being mono blue. So 
The next one we're going to talk about is the white one, which has the highest cost of the ones that we've seen so far. And you're going to understand why here when I read the sentence, because this is a very dangerous sentence. Uh, three, white, 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 white. Return, it's a sorcery. Return all artifacts and enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. Almost every time a card like this has been cast in a constructed format, the game ends. Or, or the game is unwinnable that, for your opponent. That's that not point. the part of this cycle, Tan. Uh, I am completely wrong. This is a different, just a completely different card that ha- does the same thing, pretty much. It, uh, well, there's so Invoke Justice, uh, which is different than Brilliant Restoration, which is what sure. you just read. Okay, sure, yeah. Okay, so just a different card. I'm sorry, the Invoke Justice. I'm sorry, but that card also looks super scary for the right kind of deck, right? Yeah, especially with all the sagas and things that are around in this. Uh... The cards are right next to each other. Sue me. All right. Anyway, the other one is Invoke Justice. One white, 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 white. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures and or vehicles target player controls. This one also looks pretty powerful. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're returning any permanent, so you can return, you know, uh, an Oblivion Ring kind of effect. Planeswalker. You can return a Planeswalker. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the, yeah, I'm, I'm in for the, for this kind of card, you know, at the very least, you're just like returning a creature and putting four counters on it. And suddenly you've got this huge threat. Yeah. And this one fits well within its monocolor thing, right? Like you keep saying, I can't see multicolor decks casting this. I could see like a mono white deck casting this. Cause like you're gonna have a bunch of creatures, like maybe some planeswalkers or equipment that are really powerful. Someone's gonna like kill your board and you're like, cast this, like bring something back. And it's huge. Or whatever, right? Or like you have a creature left over, like bring back my planeswalker that's good. Now my creature is a gigantic threat as well. So like this is the kind of card that could be a uh, a curve topper in one of those decks if, in the right kind of format. And it can be very powerful, like even maybe a sideboard card in those kind of matchups. Yeah, definitely a curve topper for those kinds of aggressive decks. Exactly. So uh, yeah, good point that this is the kind of card that, you know, generally white and black are the colors that play monocolor the most. You know, green sometimes has, but it's usually Nykthos is inv- being involved yeah. somewhere. I guess actually red, red is probably the one that actually is the most, but red does it in such a like straightforward, obvious way. Yeah, um, there's there's more different kinds of mono white and mono black decks. Usually mono yes. red is traditionally just try to kill you in the first four turns. Yeah, And that, that does bring, a, bring us to the uh, mono black uh, member of the cycle, Invoke Despair, one quad black sorcery. Target opponent sacrifices a creature. If they can't, they lose two life and you draw a card. Then repeat this process for an enchantment and a planeswalker. I love this card, and it has Brennan DeCandio written all over it, by the way. Yeah, I just, I think the like, it's five mana. They lose six life, you draw three cards. Not the worst. They sack a creature, lose four life, you draw two cards. Pretty good. They sack a creature and a planeswalker and lose two life, you draw a card. Pretty good. Uh, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. I'm in this, for this, Yeah. Um, Especially if, like, if you have that kind of... The, the thing is, it needs to be fit into the right deck, right? Like, if you have a kind of, like, mid-range deck that could cast this, you know, if, if there isn't, like, like a mono-black aggro deck, this card maybe doesn't fit in there. But, like, uh, you know, any kind of mono-black deck that can really, really kind of use this and leverage it, this is the kind of card that is is going to do a lot, of, a lot of good. Like, I'm immediately adding all these to my cube. You know, these are the kind of cards that are, like, super cool and cube, maybe even good. Like, this looks great in Commander and stuff like that. You know, I know you're not real big on those formats, but I could see this card cropping up in Standard or Standard-adjacent type stuff. Uh, I agree. I will say that this is not going to be a good card against aggressive decks. It doesn't do enough to catch you up on the battlefield uh, for the mana cost, but in mid-range mirrors, this card is a house. It's like Absolutely. the... Um, um, 
what was the card that they always played in the Golgari mirror? Is it like killed one thing and brought something else back? Oh, uh, the the saga. Yeah, the eldest reborn. Yeah, it's like that, or like Elspeth conquers death. Like that. That's the kind of card this is. Yeah, and uh, I liked both those cards a lot. Yes, and I think this card compares you know reasonably with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And let's go ahead and talk about that card that you mentioned earlier, Lion Sash, a card that you and I are both very very high on. This was Aspiring Spikes uh, preview card, by the way, and uh, they gave him a good one. So it's Lion Sash. It's one in the white for a 1-1. Artifact Creature Equipment Cat. So it's another one of those things. You can pay one white, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent card, put a plus one, plus one counter on Lion Sash. Equipped Creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on Lion Sash. Reconfigure two. So this is pretty much white scavenging use, except it does it for permanents, but it's also an equipment. So, like, you can grow your stuff. And then not to mention, it's an artifact equipment cat, right? So it's in white. So there's been a lot of reasons to have, like, good equipment and artifacts in white over the last year or two. And, like, decks that could, like, this already could go. Like, I look at this card, I'm like, this is one of the obvious winners out of the set, I think. I agree. And I think this whole reconfigure mechanic is one of, is going to be a, a key aspect of unlocking equipment as competitively viable, like building synergies around them. The, We've already seen them moving towards that, right? Like you've seen the really good equipment that have been good in uh, constructed in the last few years are the ones that come into play and immediately attach to something. You know, so yes. like you, you needed we needed a, a different kind of thing to happen because the basic equipment wasn't good enough in constructed. And, well, and and it's not good enough. It can be good enough as an individual card, you know. Ember Cleave just by itself is a really powerful magic card, right? Ooh, I'm saying jete, yeah, yeah. yeah but course, you don't yeah. want to put you don't. There's no reason to build around those synergies um, because when you play that much equipment, you just don't have enough mana to make it all work, right? And uh, you know the the deck ends up getting really clunky, and you run into the issue of times when you draw three equipment and one creature, and then their one removal spell leaves you with nothing. Uh, so I remember seeing like Halvar and Call Time where it could be a, a creature or an equipment. And I, and I thought, great, like, this is what you need. You need to be able to find more equipment when you need it, but also have enough threats. So, you know, a modal card like that works really well. This is another way to get that modality onto your, the threats in your deck. This can be an equipment when you want it to be an equipment and need it to be. It can be a creature when you want it to be and need it to be a creature. Uh, and it does so both at reasonably efficient rates. It provides some interaction that's you know very necessary. It gives you a mana sink, like a really good mana sink late in the game. Um, you know, tutorable with Stoneforge Mystic in older formats. And then the other really cool thing about this one that even like Halvar didn't get is it helps insulate you against sweepers. So yep. when when you equip Lion Sash to something, it's no longer a creature. And when they so when they cast their Supreme Verdict. It doesn't go to the graveyard, but now it's unattached because the creature it was attached to died, and it's suddenly a creature again immediately, which means it, it can attack the very next turn. Counter. It keeps those plus and plus one counters too, because it's like yeah. one the equipment. Yeah, because yeah. it's on the equipment, so it's a very it's a lot easier for your aggro deck to play around their sweeper uh, with cards like this, even relative to the way they did it in in call time with the the uh, dual faced cards. So I'm high on this mechanic in general because I've been trying to make equipment decks work forever. Uh, but Lion Sash is definitely the cream of the crop of them so far. Like, I, I think the one, yeah. the Mythic, the Clydesdale Kieran, you know, that's a three mana, three, two flyer, which is not bad, but it seems really hard to equip it at a, at that five mana cost. I think the red one is interesting. We can talk about that. Lizard Blades. 
Yeah, we can talk about that in a second. I think they mixed up the rarity symbols on this one and the, of the two white ones. This one feels like the mythic to me, and the other one feels like well, the rare. If, if you're looking at it from a competitive play standpoint, yeah, but the Kieran has that, you know, you can't lose the game, they can't win the game, really yeah. flashy effect to it. Yeah, true, true, true. You know, there's going to be people in Commander that are just equipping this to, you know, to indestructible shroud creatures and saying, you know, have a good day. Yeah, just looking at everyone else like, what? Yeah, yeah. but no, you actually hit on something pretty big there. Uh, that, that I was going to hit on if you didn't, and the fact that you can now Stoneforge Mystic for Scavenging Ooze, which is pretty good in some of these older formats. Like, I could see this card getting played in Legacy, Ross. Oh, yeah, as a, as a one-of in Death and Taxes, for sure. Yep, I could see it getting played Modern. Oh. This is actually my pick for number one card in the set so far. Like, like we, we've seen... You know, we all know how good it was Stoneforging for Batterskull, right? Yeah. And when your Stoneforge died after you got Batterskull, you can cast it for 7,000 turns most of the time. This is a threat that you can immediately cast after they kill your Stoneforge Mystic. I guarantee you, if you cast Stoneforge Mystic last turn, you can cast Lion Sash this turn, unless your deck is real weird. Yeah. This is how mana works. (laughs) Yeah. There, there's there's some specific ways you might not be able to, but yeah, yeah. Like you said, it'd be a really strange situation, but... And, uh, you know, and... The cool thing is, like, yeah, you get Lion Sash. Your opponent doesn't know if you're, like, holding the Cauldra complete or something. Like, they're still kind of incentivized to, you know, kill your Stoneforge Mystic, even though a lot of the time it's just going to be a Squire at that point. So yeah. uh, th- there's a lot of value to the unknown information just and, you know, really uh, putting your opponent into a bind. And I think you're going to see a lot more times where, you're, where you find Lion Sash and then your opponent says, okay, I'm not going to kill your Stoneforge. And then they just put in Batterskull or Calder Complete yep. or a Sword that's really good and uh, and go from there. So, the, you know, there's a lot of the just the existence of Lion Sash opens up some interesting play patterns uh, that I think will will make it valuable. And that's just beyond being a solid card. Yeah. Like I said, my early pick for number one card in the set, because I think this is going to show up in every format, literally all of them. So Yeah. And it's even easier to get counters on it, right? It's not just creatures. When you're exiling all your opponent's fetch lands and and their Mishra's baubles so they can't bring them back with Luris, all getting counters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this 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 does seem to be another reason for it being rare. This does seem to be a cycle in this set as well. There's like a two color. I mean, there's a two mana version of this in every color. It looks like you were talking about the red one, which is lizard blades. <laughs> a very strange name. It's one in red for an artifact creature equipment lizard. It's a 1-1 with double strike and equipped creature has double strike with reconfigure 2. This is definitely a card that depending on the builds and the way that like mono red's going to look in like standard ever that like I could see making making some play and making its way in just because the threat of it ever getting onto a creature is extremely dangerous and then when you kill that creature, they have this creature left over. And if you have any way in your deck to like you know, you think about you know cards like Rimrock Knight, right? Like if that, yeah. if that kind of deck happens again, In- like incidental pump spells. Yeah, like that works really. Like this is Rimrock, Rimrock, bleh, Rimrock Knight's like best friend. You know, like this, he actually has Lizard Blade. So uh, how about, another card uh, like that one. How about unsoling this one? Ooh, I like that as well. Can you I didn't think, even think about that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely really cool. Uh, the blue one actually is really sweet too. This one's called the Reality Chip. Uh, this one's a little wordy, so I'm going to make sure we get this one right. It's you know, one of the blue for a 0-4. Equip legendary. This one's legendary as well, and you'll see why. Legendary artifact creature, equipment jellyfish. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say, equipment jellyfish. Uh, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. As long as the reality chip is attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library, reconfigure two in a blue. So when you reconfigure this for two in a blue, it becomes future sight. Right? Yep. 
And uh, yeah, there's a lot of people kind of pumped about this one. I can see this one definitely making it into some spots. It's a 0-4 for, you know, one of the blue. So like, it's good enough to block a lot of the early creatures in the early game. This is an absolute bomb and limited. It's just like, just like most of them are. And uh, yeah, I think reconfigure is pretty cool. The more I'm like reading through these cards, the more I'm thinking about it. This ability might be like one of the first times they've really like made it pretty balanced, but it can transfer over to construct it as well in ways that like, I actually think this is just really cool and really well done. Uh, yeah, I, I did the, I agree with you on the uh, on the keyword overall. This card in particular, I'm very low on. Um, I think the issue is that it is not an internally consistent card, by which I mean that future side effect and a two mana zero four, which is what this is at its base, are very defensive, controlling minded effects. But then you need to play a bunch of creatures so that you can consistently reconfigure it to even get the future sight part of the ability. That you know, is just going to be difficult to do. So it's going to take a very specific kind of deck to make this work. uh, And I don't really see the cards in any format to do that. Um, So I'm I'm down on this one, although I do agree with you, it is messed up and limited, Mm -hmm. Uh, like unbelievably messed up. Yeah, that cheap of a future site, definitely. And since we're talking about a lot of these like auras and equipment stuff in your creatures, I definitely think it's a good time to go into this card that I think is really cool. One of the cooler cards previewed so far that is going to make waves possibly in Constructed, but also in Commander. And I love the name Light Paws Emperor's Voice. It's one and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature Fox Advisor. And it says, whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura and with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield attached to Light Paws Emperor's Voice, then shuffle. So you can't double up on stuff here, right? And you have to, you know, have cast it from your hand or whatever to get the effect, but, or cast it. I'm sorry, now it doesn't be from your hand. You just have to cast it. But this is one of those cards that when it gets going, game's over. Like you're, you're just going to run people over kind of like you do in the, you know, uh, pants decks, as we like to call them, you know, where like you put a creature, you put a bunch of stuff on them. I see people making commander decks around this. I can see this possibly making its way into some of those decks that we've already seen like historic and pioneer and stuff like that. Yeah. I think the key is going to be being able to go turn three, cast this card, play any sort of one mana aura, um, you know, and find a one mana aura that will protect light paws. You know, in modern they have the uh, the umbras uh, in their deck, and they, they might even diversify which umbras they play now, just to make sure you know uh, you can find one that has a different name. Um, I think you know in I honestly I would play this card. I think it in Bogles and modern. Yeah, I think I would play a split of this card and the O two Spirit Dancer. Uh, you know. Uh, because this card does some things and Spirit Dancer doesn't, in particular, like finding the key card that you need, right? Like if I need the lifelink effect, I'll put one Spirit Link in my deck. And so even with the one mana, I can I can tutor for it. I'll put, you know, I, you don't have to play as many of the evasion ones. You can you can play one copy of the one that gives it plus one plus one and pro creatures. So when you play Daybreak Coronet, you know, you find it. And um there there's uh they, like that kind of toolbox thing is uh, sneakily important for the Bogles deck. Bogles has become much more, more it, it used to just be powerful enough that any like, you know, number of enchantments, as long as you had enough of them, that as long as you reached critical mass would overpower the opponent. That's no longer really true in modern. 
and now you really need to sort of assemble the full Voltron a lot of the time where you have a big, vigilant, lifelinking creature with some sort of evasion, whether it's trample, you know, unblockability from something like pro creatures or, you know, flying or whatever, um, to just set up this unwinnable race for your opponent. Light Pause really helps you do that. And you're still generating card advantage, though I guess it does... It has to go onto the light pause. So you don't actually get that. Uh, you don't get as much versatility as I want. Right, right. Yeah. Well, but that's that's not as good then. Okay. I'm a little bit. De- card, I'm, I'm lower on the card. I thought I thought I could just like move them all around. Uh, but they don't. They. Tana, why don't they let me have everything? Come on, Ross. You know the answer to that. <laughs> um, still, I do still think it's a good card uh, because you're generating a lot of a lot of just. You're still generating a lot of value, and you have still a good amount of control over the value. Uh, it's just not quite as good as I initially thought because I, you know, my head works mm-hmm. weirdly. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to start, you know, jumping around a little bit here. We're going to go into some of the uncommons here, and then we'll make our way into some more rares and mythics when we get down to multicolored and artifact. Well, we but, we so, got some we got yeah. some other rares that I want to talk about. Oh, up here, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's uh, and in particular uh, the other sort of big mechanical shift in the set that we haven't talked about yet is all of these sagas that right. wh- whose last chapter is exile the saga and return to the battlefield transformed. They all return as creatures. Uh, and some of the rare ones I like quite a bit. They're actually some of my early picks for top. Like, you know, I agree they're like Lion's Ash is definitely going to be up there uh, on my top eight list, but some of these cards could find their way up there as well. So I want to do, I do want to say one thing since you just mentioned it real quick that before we get into the specifics, they do leave the battlefield. So in formats like Pioneer, where that matters, it does trigger revolt. Yes. So, yeah. But in general, it means that the creature that you get, a transformed, cannot attack that turn. Right. So they are a little slow. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I kind of wish that these creatures, like, you know, that's if, why they if made it said they way. return them yeah. with haste. Yeah, but maybe that makes them too way. good. Because I do that, like, returning as a creature and, like, getting another card is pretty nice. Um you know, if you think of the auras that generate a full card on their, or the saga, uh, sagas that generate a full card on their third chapter, like, those cards have generally been pretty good. Like, Urza's Saga, or Elspeth Conquers Death, <laughs> or, um, you know, what other ones even generate a full card on their third mode? I don't know. But uh, the three that I like are, first, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Uh, Two and a red has three chapters. First chapter, create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Then two chapter two, you may discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. In chapter three, exile it comes back. It is a 2-2 reflection of Kiki-Jiki, enchantment creature goblin shaman, not legendary by the way. One tap, create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, accept it as haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So a kiki-jiki ability that costs one, uh, so you can't do any nonsense with Pestermite. You you wouldn't be able to do this with Restoration Angel anyway, because it would come back as the saga, uh, but with any untap effect like Pestermite or or Deceiver Exarch, it would be another infinite combo, so they avoided that with the one mana. Um, But you're, you're getting a 2-2 that's generating mana the next turn, so generating even more value. You're generating some card selection on the second mode. In the third mode, you're getting a creature that's going to set up to generate even more value that really, like, probably, you know, demands a removal spell. So that's three, like, that's just three good modes. That's a lot of value for three mana. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, th- these cards I usually kind of, like, overlook probably too much, but... 
you know, I, I definitely had a problem with this with some of the sagas in the past. Like you mentioned two earlier in the in Black that were very good with Elspeth Conqueror's Death, you know, and things like that. And I end up loving those cards, saying they were very good. So these are ones that I need to like really sit down with and take a look at all of them. But like all of them so far, I've looked at them and been like, yeah, they're they're fine. You know, I'm like you with the creature being a little slow. I think they're all busted and limited. You know, but like I in constructed, we'll see. You know, if you have like ways to really abuse the fact that they're enchantments, like ways to get them back, etc. You know, the games start going long. Like mid range decks are really going to like these kinds of cards. So I definitely like a lot of these uh, as well. I haven't re- read every single one of them so far. I, you know, I just I like to think of it like what happens if I just get everything out of this card, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're getting two in a red for a two two that creates a treasure when it attacks. You're getting uh, two rummages. Up to two, mm-hmm. so you don't have to take them if you don't want to, but you get the option, and you're getting a a kiki jiki that costs one to activate yep. and doesn't have haste. Also, like, what if this is like almost like a reanimator strategy too? Like, it gives you something to block with, right? Then it gives you a discard outlet, right? Yeah. And then it like it gives you this other thing that you can do where you can start copying whatever it is that you're bringing back to do really broken stuff. And if you look well. at most reanimation effects in standard, they cost five, right? And this is comparable to that, right? With also being flexible. Yeah. This cost three gets you a treasure token when the goblin attacks on turn four and sets you up to a meet to discard yeah. that turn. Meaning so, that you're going to be like, you know, turn five or six before you're doing it, right? Uh, course, no, this but, is the turn four. You're set up to, to reanimate. You cast this on turn three. You get your two, two. Next turn, you attack with it, get the treasure after discarding. And then you got your five mana and you reanimate your big thing. Well, oh, you get to reanimate. I, I was thinking you can't copy it off. You yeah, know, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the copying game. thing is, is, is a while. That comes in on turn five and starts doing its thing on turn six. But I like th- compare this to like history of Benalia. That card made three two twos and then pumped your knights, right? This card makes or two two twos. I mean, this card also makes two 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 twos that have other abilities and rummages, and is easier to cast. That's not as aggressive. Um, so I think it's you know obviously like when you think red, you think aggression. This is more of a mid rangey card. But it, uh, like I could say I like. Can you imagine playing this in like a sacrifice deck and copying your mayhem devil for your like setup turn for your big combo turn? You've generated two bodies of value. You discard like a scrap heap scrounger that you returned or a blood soak champion that you've returned. And because your sacrifice deck has a bunch of cards to come back from the graveyard. Like there's a ton of value to be had with this card. Um, you know, so the, the Normally, like when I've seen cards like this, the sort of cheap saga that generates a little bit of value, usually that third mode is like, it's like Birth of Malight. It's like gain two life. You know, yeah. it's a throwaway right yeah. at the end. You got your value up front. You got your land and, and your 04. This is three full modes of value. Like you're 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 really getting a, a card's, you know, I would say close to a card's worth or, or a full card's worth on every single chapter. And that's the power of this mechanic where that third chapter is just turn into a creature that does something. Uh, the next one I really like is in white. This is the restoration of a John Joe. Two and a white again. So same cost as that red one. First chapter, search your library for a basic planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So we're birth of Malitising. Chapter two, you may discard a card. When you do, return target permanent card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Keep in mind that says permanent card, not non-land permanent. And you just found a planes. <laughs> so like baseline, just from itself, you discard that planes, return it tapped, play a different land you had in your hand, and now you're set up to, to have ramped the next turn. Uh, and then, or you can, you know, discard a two-mana creature and just, you know, jumpstart your your plan. Discard your uh, your Lion Sash and just put it onto the battlefield, uncounterable. 
uh, you know, pretty cool. And then you, uh, chapter three, you exile it and it comes back as a three, four with vigilance. It says whenever architect of restoration, the name uh, attacks or blocks, create a one, one colorless spirit creature token. That's a pretty good creature. <laughs> yeah. I, I like this card a lot. Actually. I think it's, it's pretty sweet. Um, I don't know what kind of home it's going to find in constructed, you know, cause like, I don't think a control deck maybe would want this, but I don't know. Maybe it does though. Cause you don't have to really invest in it one time. Um, it does ramp you, uh, like you're saying, it does some really cool stuff like that. And the creature on the back end is pretty good. And the fact that it's a three, four vigilant creature and it makes one ones extra too. So it helps gum up the works. So this looks more like a mid rangey card to me, but I definitely like everything it's doing. I mean, this, this is make maybe the card that makes the white dragon, you know, work like you're, you're, this is a card that makes it a lot easier to just get to five mana. Even if you, you don't, uh, so like you're you're playing your fourth land on turn four, right? And you've put a land into play off of this. Even if you don't fully ramp and get to six mana on turn five, this is the card that got you the land that gets you to, to five mana consistently, even if you're a little bit of a lower land count. And now you're playing the dragon on five. It's a great card to find out. What the? I am on silent. It's fine. I, it's just I vibration. It's fine. Um, but this is the card that could make the white dragon work. Um, but another card that just generates significant value. You're getting a card off the first chapter. You're getting not a, uh, a card off the second chapter, but you're getting tempo. Uh, and then you're getting a card off the third chapter. So, you know, the, with the red one, it was, two, it was full card off of chapter one and chapter three and a little bit of card selection. Here you're getting two cards and some tempo. Still a lot of value there. Yeah. Any of the, the any of these other cards, there's, there's a few other ones like, I've seen some people have some some talks about March of Otherworldly Light. This uh, instant speed white removal spell. It's X and a white. And it's an additional cost to the spell. You can exile any number of white cards from your hand. And the spell costs two less for each one of those that you do that way. And it's just exile target artifact creature or enchantment of mana mana value X or less. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, this removal spell that we, is dominating in Legacy and in Modern right now. It's a little bit more expensive, but it's an instant but in, like, the standard kind of stuff, like, I could see myself playing this in, like, blue-white control and this being pretty damn good. Like, I would have loved this card years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not prismatic ending because you can't just pay one right. and deal with a right. one drop, right? You have, to go, you have to go one above, right? But you get the instant speed stuff of it. You're like, this is a card that works really well in control decks or even, you know, there's probably some other decks that don't want it. But, like, decks where you're saying go a lot and you have cards, like, on turn four or five where, like, you're leaving up your mana because you want to cast your, your card draw spell, like, your advantage spell. But then they resolve something or they play something. And you're like, well, I don't really want to counterspell that. And you can like draw your cards or you could be like, all right, we'll kill that. It's our untap, like play my planeswalker now or whatever. So like this is a card that is going to allow you to play in a lot of different ways of having this just covering most things. You know, it doesn't kill planeswalkers, but killing artifacts, creatures or enchantments. Pretty good at covering a lot of the stuff that's been going on. That's pretty good in standard of the last year or two. This or is the kind of adjacent. card that it's too mana inefficient to play a lot of number, a, a high number of, because you don't want to flood on them because then your hand is too clunky. But it's versatile enough that you're happy to have the first copy because then you know sometimes in control decks you just kind of get caught. Like you, this is your only removal spell that you had on turn two, so you had to use it, and then you had to use a removal spell two turns later, and suddenly their third threat, like you don't have the right removal spell for. But this one will ensure that you have it. You know, it might cost you a little bit of extra mana, but at that point you've made enough land drops, you should be okay. You just need to answer their last threat, and then you're stabilized, and you can start taking over, drawing cards, and and pulling ahead. So. I, I I can I envision this card in that role, you know the the, the they're playing cleanup, you know it doesn't matter what it is they've got the last threat, you know yeah 
and, and that's actually uh, a cycle, right? Do we? Uh, I think uh, we only I'm have two. Sure. So, the, well, there, there is a black one. It's called March of Wretched Sorrow. These are all X and a, a man of that color instance. You can exile any number of cards of that color oh, okay. to make it cost you less and uh, uh, you know have some effect. The March of Wretched Sorrow deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. Oh, that one's actually pretty decent. I yeah. actually just didn't see this one. Uh, Black got a lot of removal in this set, which we're going to talk about. There's there's that card. There's a there's another one's called like Soul Transfer. It's one black black for a sorcery. It's another rare in the set. It says choose one. If you control both an artifact and enchantment while casting this spell, you may choose both. I like that they put while casting the spell so someone can't kill something in response. Uh, you can choose bro- both, which is exile target creature or planeswalker, or return target creature or planeswalker from your graveyard to your hand. Um, it's a sorcery, so not sure about it with constructed. We'll see what else is available, but like this is the kind of card that when it's good, it's gonna be really good. Yeah, at, at yeah. sorcery speed, I'm I'm not right. really buying it, but yeah. I agree. Like in in those sort of you know Golgari mirrors, if there's a decent number of planeswalkers mm-hmm. in those decks, that and you're getting the both a lot, it's going to be a really good sideboard card. That's where yeah. that's where I expect it to show up. Yeah, and it's like it's in the same set as a card called Assassin's Ink, which is two black black instant. Destroy target creature or planeswalker, but it costs one less to cast if you control an artifact, and one less to cast if you control an enchantment. So you could either ca- you you could either play this three mana slow sorcery one, or you could pay this one that's possibly going to be it's probably going to be three mana most times, or possibly two at instant speed to do a very similar kind of card. So uh, it just depends on what your deck's going to look like, but that card seems like it's pretty cool too. Um, lots of really cool cards like that. In the set, uh, another uncommon that I think is pretty sweet in here. Have you seen this one? This this one's uh, very new. Have you seen Reality Heist? Uh, yes, I have seen this yeah. one. I actually, so, wrote about it in my article. Okay, cool. This one I uh, just for everybody home. Five blue, blue. It costs one last for each artifact you control. It just has affinity for artifacts. Look at the top seven cards. It it just dig through times. Let's look at the top seven cards of your library. Reveal up to two uh, artifact cards from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. This card's either a ten or a zero. I'm on the I'm in the zero camp. How about you? Yeah. Okay. The, I, I, I can camp. kind of see that too. My, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm I have two sure. issues with the card. One, decks that take advantage of affinity cards are usually very proactive, and dig through time effects fit best into reactive strategies. Uh, and the second thing is the the fact that you're limited to only getting artifact cards means that the card selection isn't worth as much because like you're not usually finding removal spells or you know other copies of this card like you are with dig through time like a lot of the most powerful chains that happen off of an actual dig through time aren't viable with this card the one place i'm a little interested in it is in thopter sword decks in modern with like urza and cheap artifacts yeah, but i can see it there though as and i've i saw people talking about this on twitter that like the problem that those decks have had is lack of good cheap artifacts. So yeah. this doesn't solve that problem, it, and honestly exacerbates it. This right, is it a card that really needs yeah. a lot of cheap artifacts yeah. to be good. So I'm low on this card. I think it's one of the more overrated cards in the set right now. Same. Um, definitely in contention for that spot in our top eight show next week. But uh, you know, pr- prove me wrong. We have another. Uh, there's another card in the March cycle already previewed. It's just in a different language. It's the red one. So this one is. Um, Exile X cards from the top of your library. You may play up to two of them until your next turn. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, sure, sure. I remember that Wait, one. Yeah, that says, one's uh, that one's interesting too. I don't. I'm not so sure about that one. This one sucks because it says until your next turn. If it said until the end, until the the end of your next turn, not just until your next turn. That's oh a, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. And I'm seeing it in English actually. That's not a mistranslation. 
Um, the card appears on the homepage in, in a different in a different language, um, but is in English when you follow the link. So you have to like you're basically like pitching a card and paying one mana to get a light at the stage that is a little bit worse than light of the stage, and you're like paying a card and a mana for it. And the more mana you sink into this to try to get more value out of it, the less likely that it is you're going to be able to play the cards that you want. So yeah, I think this one's a, a swing and a miss. Uh, two other uncommons that I really like that I think are going to be extremely high, like first pickable and limited, and could one of them might be able to bleed its way over to Constructed if some things happen. One of them is Leech Gauntlet. This is the black version of the artifact creature equipment uh, cycle that we saw. So it's one in a black for a 2-2 artifact creature equi- equipment leech. It has lifelink. Equipped creature has lifelink and has reconfigure four. I think this is going to be one of my underrated cards. Uh, this one, absurdly good and limited, in my opinion. And you can just play this in some of your in your black decks, especially if you're like looking for creatures to play and like attack with. And this is going to be very good in some matchups. Mm, I agree with you that this is a good limited card. <laughs> I th- and sure. I think it'll it'll play better than it looks too because putting lifelink on a big creature is like so good. And even even so, in a bigger deck, even just playing this on two and trading and gaining two yeah. life is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, exactly it's poor man's batter skull. Yeah, so, it gives you like some flexibility. I, I do think this is going to be an underrated limited card early on mm-hmm. because this is not a card that leaps off the page at you, but I it does very important this. thing yeah. things for the kinds of decks, and it's yeah. and it's still fine in an aggressive deck. So like you could take yeah. this early, and you know it'll be your fifth best two drop, but you want seven two drops anyway. So yeah, I, I I will first pick this and be happy with it. Speaking of first picking and limited, this is the one that I'll see myself probably first picking the most. And I'm just going to bring this one up because of, because of that. You know, I love limited. Have you seen Behold the Unspeakable? Uh, I have not. So it's it's three blue blue. Uh, first chapter of the saga is creatures you don't control get minus two, minus zero until your next turn. Um, so on offense and defense. Uh, two, if you have one or fewer cards in your hand, draw four cards. Otherwise, scry two, then draw two cards. So the floor is scry two, draw two. The ceiling, which can happen in limited more than you think, is just draw four. You know, if you if you if you've um you played enough spells or whatever. And then the third chapter is exile it, return it. And it's a flying trampling zero, zero that gets pulse and plus one for each card in your hand. I think this card might be constructive playable. It's a little slow, but, the, but it's like, but this is like the, the right best deck. I'm tapping out to draw a bunch of cards card yep. I've seen in a while. Yeah. The, the, the problem is, is if you play it and they kill it, it's real bad. Because you did not get the draw card effect yet, and you just spent five mana on something that probably didn't do a whole lot and constructed. Like, yeah, but like, give... how are they killing it? I'm assuming people are going to play artifact and enchantment removal as much as they possibly can in these formats, especially in standard. If these things are getting popular, I'm pretty happy if if people are leaving in disenchants against me, and I'm the control player. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm not saying this card's unplayable. I'm just saying like it yeah. jumps off the page and limited, like literally jumps off the page. Like I will not pass this card. Yeah. you know kind the, of thing the, the the big issue for me with with card with cards that are just tap out draw a bunch of stuff uh mm-hmm. you know uh, let's call them tidings uh, you know tidings kind of cards is that your opponent just like gets a free turn to come at you right 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 and this one he, protects itself yeah yeah here they protect it's like okay you're not going to come at me for that much probably um and then i'm gonna get my i'm gonna dig four deep you know maybe i get them all maybe i get two of them uh and either way pretty good I'll find my sweeper, I'll cast it, and then you'll spend your turn rebuilding, and I will start the next turn immediately with a reasonably sized creature. Let's go. I, yeah, this card is... Oof. Yeah. 
All right, let's get in some of these multicolored cards because there are some sweet ones in here. And I, got, some I, got, I got one Go more uh, sure, sure. monocolor rara I wanted to talk about. It's another one of these sagas. And you know I'm I'm Rakdos Sacrifice guy. I fully embraced this identity. Yep. So Tribute to Harobi, I think, is a really cool card. Oh, yeah, this one's sweet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a one in a black saga. Chapters one and two are each opponent creates a 1-1 one, one black rat rogue creature token. Okay? Doesn't seem great. <laughs> But then chapter three happens. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes a 3-3 flying haste when Echo when it's called Echo of Death's Whale. And when it enters the battlefield, gain control of all rat tokens. Notably, this is a permanent effect not dependent on the 3-3 three, three staying on the mm-hmm. battlefield. They just come back. And they when Echo of Death's Whale attacks, you may sacrifice another creature if you do draw a card. Yeah. Now, this is, this is a lot to like about this card. Yeah. If it goes off, it's great, right? Because, uh, you know, you've... You created two one ones, even if they kill the three three, and now you're up a couple one ones. That's a fine trade. You only spent two mana on it. If you get to just turn the rats into two cards, great. Uh, you know it's putting pressure on them immediately. I love that it has haste. The big issue is what happens when you play it on turn two. They get a one one. Next turn you like play a creature that, you know, and they get they get a one one, and they kill it after that. And now you've given your opponent two one. Yes, obviously that sucks. Like that that's going to be where it really really, really sucks. And my. My big worry with the card is it dies to Portable Hole, which is pretty popular right now and will be like pretty popular against these decks. So, that mm-hmm. you know, this is sort of a metagamey card for me. Like, how if it's living, it's good. If it's not living, it's really bad. So you just got to mm-hmm. see like how often are my opponents killing this thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one that one definitely stands out as like it's going to be good in the right deck where it like synergizes really well. Yeah, and the right like metagame so. where it just mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. Um, a couple, a couple more. Let's go ahead and cover, cover a couple more cards, and then we can save some for next week. Uh, this one's an interesting one. I can definitely see people playing this in Commander or some standard deck that does some broken stuff. Uh, Spirit Sisters Call, three white black enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, choose target permanent card in your graveyard. You may sacrifice a permanent card that shares a card type with the chosen card. If you do, return the chosen card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it gains. If this permanent would leave the battlefield, exile it instead. So. Repeated, repeatable reanimator stuff, but like you get to kind of goblin welder stuff. You know, you get to trade a creature for a creature, an enchantment for an enchantment, a yeah, land for a land, a, a blood token for a big artifact. Yeah, so like there's there's some re- and like that's a big one actually that you just mentioned because it's in black white, which can generate blood tokens, and they are discard outlets. So you can hit creatures with this, you know, by putting the by putting them there, and you have any creatures in your deck. Or you can, you know, pitch some other artifact or enchantment thing, and you're gonna have. You could even sacrifice this thing. You can sacrifice Spirit Sister's Call to get some big dumb enchantment into play. So, card that could could possibly be abusable. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, there there is some potential there. I'd be a little worried um, because it doesn't trigger to the end step. So like, if your opponent has anything ready for it, they can break it up. Um, but another like big mid range mirror breaker, you know, yeah. kind of same kind of card. Like if it lives, it's going to take over the game, and it's going to do it pretty quickly. Yeah. Speaking of taking over the game, the next card I want to talk about straight up murders a deck in historic. That's very very good. This card is called Hitsugu uh, Consumes All, and whoever made this card really doesn't like Cat Oven. <laughs> so this card is one black red. Uh, the first chapter: destroy each non land permanent with mana value one or less. Second chapter: exile all graveyards. And then the third chapter makes a uh, makes a creature. It's a 3-3 Trampler. And it says when it deals damage, put a plus, plus one counter on it. And then when it deals damage uh, to a player, if it is dealt 10 or more damage to the player, they lose the game. So it just becomes 
a commander. You know, like with commander damage kind of thing. But that Do you know what the first thing I did when I read that backside was? Hmm. Figure out if Embercleave was a one-shot kill. It deals nine. <laughs> it deals nine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're safe. <laughs> we're safe. Oh, God forbid you could deal one extra on a red-black deck, you know? Well, it has, so, this creature has to deal it. So you, so you right, need Embercleave right. and another pump spell. Like, mm-hmm. That's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And uh, I kind of want to save, well, I mean, not save. I mean, there's so many more cards to talk about. Like, there are so many good, like, you know, like other multicolored cards. Like, we haven't talked about the lands yet, which I think are really good. Like, obviously, the green one, Besejo, uh, Besejo Who Endures, is going to be a multi-format all-star. I think this is, like, one of the best. This, this is the other favorite I have for number one card. You know, it's going to be good in Legacy. Let's go ahead and read the card before I keep going. Yeah, uh, let's, legendary let's land, do the cycle of lands. Yeah, it's a legendary land. Uh, you get taps to add a green. No drawback. Just comes into play untapped. Uh, it is legendary, though. Uh, channel one of the green discard Besaju, destroy target artifact enchantment or non-basic land and opponent controls that player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type put it onto the battlefield and then shuffle this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control this card is very good ross and it's going to show up in a lot of formats yeah in particular with things like life in the loam and ren and six um, yeah exactly yeah uh, there's a chance this card gets banned like, I actually think so. I don't know if it's quite at that level. It's going to be... Like, okay, maybe that's that's a little hyperbolic to say, but it's going to be very annoying. Like, it's, this card it, is very good in a lot of existing decks already. Yeah. It's also a very cool card to tutor for with Primeval Titan with a Bounce Land. Mm-hmm. So you yep. just, you know, get a spell into your hand. Um, yeah, I think it's very good. I, I think they're all pretty good. This is just the one that, like, is going to go into other... Uh, into other formats pretty easily. So yeah. there's a full cycle of these, and there was a cycle of lands, uh, legendary lands in original Kamigawa that tapped for a color, and they all had one mana of that color tap gives Grant some ability to a legendary creature. So the yeah. Manamo... It was just, I think, any creature, honestly. Uh, no, yeah. well, it was, it was legendary, because it, okay, you know, sure. it, was, it was all the theme. And these these all share that cost reduction for all legendary creatures you control. Mm-hmm. So the red one, Sokinson, Crucible of Defiance, uh, has, you know, tap for red... Then channel three and a red, uh, create two one one colorless spirit tokens. They gain haste until end of turn. I think this card is also quite good, not only for aggressive red decks, um, but Tannen, why, why don't you tell them what you, uh, you know, were talking to me about before the show? Yeah, so this is the one that like a lot of people are giving hate on in Twitter, and so like, right now this would be my pick for like underrated card because people are like, yeah, this one's like possibly the worst one of the bunch. When I think this one's pretty good, right? Like, let's just say a mono red deck is playable in standard or standard adjacent sets. Why wouldn't you play this over, like, one or two or three mountains, right? Like, the fact that it's a land early or it's a spell on turn four is good enough to play a few, right? I wouldn't play a ton because of the legendary land thing. But there's decks that exist already that might play this card, and you were really kind of excited about hearing this with your creativity decks, right? Yes. And while I would not play this card in the modern version of the deck because the mana base needs to be so mountain-heavy for Dwarven Mine, right. this does give the pioneer version of the deck a land that can produce the creatures it needs. Uh, and in particular, two of them, because the pioneer version is a combo deck, right? They find right. the uh, the the god, the not Scarab God, but the Locust God, and mm-hmm. wh- whatever that creature is that just lets you keep drawing when artifacts or creatures enter the battlefield. Um, and so it gives you literally the two creatures you need at four mana and then five mana you creativity. So it's just end step, make two things, untap, kill you. And yep. so n- now, now you've basically got a two card. Like this is just Splinter Twin. It's yeah. li- it's no, just, I actually it, was thinking the exact same it's thing. It's literally yeah. just Splinter Twin, but costs one more mana mm-hmm. on each side, you know, in Pioneer. Uh, and, 
and you know half of the combo is a land <laughs> you know it's also just the land it's if you not, need it to be. you can't you can't counterspell this either yeah so well, you can counterspell right. the creativity or kill the creatures. Right, so right. You can't, still... you can't stop the creatures yeah. from going to play is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So if, they, if it's super late in the game and like, or and they're like they've tapped out for other things, they can go and step, make some 1-1s, one fully untap, protect my creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely some options there. So, I, you know, uh, I agree that, I, you know, they're all good. But if people – I didn't – I haven't seen a bunch of chatter on Twitter. I didn't, just didn't look today. But uh, mm-hmm. if people are poo-pooing that card, they're going to be um, mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah. Uh, so the the blue one is Otawara, the Heavenly City. Has channel three in a blue and return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand, uh, and then costs less for each legendary creature you control. So just you know, about spell, pretty easy. Like even in a control deck that's going to be paying the full four most of the time, you know, just having one of those in your deck and being able to turn yeah, an extra I land mean, into a bounce spell. Uh, the white one is two and a white to channel, and it deals four damage to attacking or blocking creature. And the black one is three and a black. And it mills three cards, and you can turn a creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard to your hand. So, like, I can see myself playing all of these, right? Like, yeah. in different varieties of decks all over the place. Like, you know. they're just, it's almost like the modal lands. You know, the lands that were lands or spells, where, like, they're just a land early, and then when you draw them late, they're spells. Or you know you're going to need this effect, you just keep it in your hand. But, like, they aren't actually spells. Like, you can't spell pierce this. Like, you can't counter spell this. Yeah, these are like, activated abilities, um, you know, uh, and... Yeah, that makes a big difference. Um, the what happened with the the old cycle of these lands, the the Manamo, Ajanjo, Shinka, Shizo, Okina cycle, like they were just one ofs in almost everyone's decks, right? You know, because it was so free to play one, and I think that's going to happen a lot across a lot of different formats. Um, you know, I think it, I think standard adjacent formats and Pioneer, it's very easy to just play one copy of these cards in your decks unless you have. Uh, I think in friendly color decks that are playing check lands, you know, then you're then it's a little bit of, co- of a cost. Or if you're playing castles, it's a, a tiny bit of a cost, but probably not that much. So you can make a, a determination there. And then modern, it's about you know how well I think the green one plays so well with with Ren that you'll see it in those decks and Primeval Titan again as a one of. Uh, the other ones probably not because the mana bases and modern are, are so different, but. The, these lands will all see significant play across other formats and oh, the green yeah. one down into legacy oh yeah i think the green one's just a multi-format all-star for sure the green one's the big win obviously all of these are good i like the design they're great there's actually another land that they previewed that i'm a big fan of and i'm surprised that you weren't super big on this and it's secluded courtyard oh yeah i forgot about this this is, this is a fundamental reprint of uh what's the other two called of, it's unclaimed territory but you can also yeah. activate abilities of creatures of that type territory didn't let yeah. you do that yeah, so this it, it uh, when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. It taps for colorless, or it taps for one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type or activate an ability from the creature of the chosen type. So in modern now, you have 12 of these for like humans or yeah, whatever, for any, right? For any creature type. But I think this is huge for standard and standard adjacent formats all the way down to like Pioneer and stuff that like this is another like untapped land on turn one and two for some of your aggro decks that we've been asking for for quite a bit that can make some of these mana bases better and make some of these decks really good at getting aggressive. Yeah, tribal aggro decks are are a big winner here, and that's definitely something to explore in Pioneer now that the mana bases are 
uh, much more workable. You just, can have eight of those. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. eight rainbow lands, and then your, your mana base can focus more on your other colors. And now you've yeah. got plenty of early mana of the colors you need for your one drops, and enough ma- ma- like mana to work your splash. And you I, might be able to play humans now. Yeah, like an actual hu- like multicolored humans deck it, in that you format. You know, card now. is actually like pretty difficult to kill with the removal people have in Pioneer. What's that? Mantis Rider. Yeah. The red removal deals two a lot of the time. Portable hole only hits two drops. And Fatal, Fatal push, push often yeah. doesn't revolt. Like, yeah. Mantis Rider is hard to kill. It's also hard to cast, but this you know, gives you eight lands that are rainbow lands for it. And now you can just play some of the fast lands as well. And you, know, you can kind of like, you know, pull your lands out. Oh, the fact yeah. that, like, because that was the hardest part was curving out into turn three or four. Too many of your lands would come into play tapped. You know what you else didn't have might enough. be able to work is party. If you can find enough Ooh. party cards that like overlap, if it's all human clerics, human wizards, sure, human rogues, yeah. and now it, like you could be a multicolor party deck and just name human with these. Since they made the party land literally unplayable. Yeah, I, un- inexplicably. But uh, yeah, no, I, I remember when I read this and I was really excited. I'm glad you brought it up because that is uh, honestly that might be the that might be what I write about next week because I, I can come up with a lot of fun travel aggro decks. Yeah. So there we go. All right. That, I'm thinking we're going to call it here. Uh, we do have a, uh, I want to get to this, we have a mailbag question that's really good, but I think we're going we're gonna to stop the, the preview cards here and we'll get some more of these. I know there's just, the set's great, honestly. Like, I, this is the most excited I've been about Magic in a while, and I'm super into the set. We didn't get to cover some of the coolest cards and stuff, and we will next week. Plus, we'll have, you know, if, if the whole set's out, which it should be, we'll have our top eight as well. But I wanted to get into this question, because this question's really timed well, and I, I like it a lot. And this is from Boom Boom Zoom. They say, hey, you two, it's great to be back as a patron. Sorry I had to leave a while while COVID and all that junk. Hey, man, it, it's yeah, great no to worries. be. It's great to have you back. Don't worry about it. Like, we get it. That's why we've kind of chilled a little bit on the patron stuff over the last year or two. Everybody's been hurting. There's a bunch of stuff going on. More of that coming in the future. We might have a really exciting announcement about that next week. Just in case, I, I'm not par- making any promises, but we might have some really cool stuff. My question is for, uh, for you two is, with bigger events beginning to start to come back slowly, is there anything you may uh, have taken for granted before that you will not now? This is an absolutely great question because so Ross, you, you haven't really been to a big event since, right? Yeah. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm saying, so you haven't been to one, right? Other than SCG con, right? Okay. So you went to SCG con. Like I've been to quite a few big events since because of the flesh and blood stuff. Plus, uh, you know, the stuff in Vegas. And I will tell you this, you are 100% correct. You definitely took a ton of... I mean, I definitely took a ton of stuff for granted. I think everybody did. And I think I told you about this, Ross. Like, the the first time I got to... You know, when I walked into Vegas for the first event, and you hear, like, the sounds, right? And you feel, like, the palpable energy. And it just kind of, like, overwhelms you in a good way. You know, you're like, I, I can't believe I missed this. You know, just the hustle and bustle yeah. of, of it all. For me, it's... it's And it's something I realized uh, a few months ago... And it, it's the thrill of competition. And I realized Absolutely. this when yeah. I did the the Rec League's softball in October and September. That's and what I miss the most about sports and stuff, too. Yeah, I knew that like, the competition. Our, our team was going to be bad. I was, you know, yeah. I was like, yeah, we're not going to take it seriously. You know, we're drinking beers in the dugout. <laughs> and, um, and we're just going to have a good time. But anytime a game, like, got close, I, like, yeah. locked in. And suddenly yeah. I'm just like... This is awesome. Like I'm, you know, my life is crumbling or, you know, swelling at every crack of the bat, every swing. And I'm yelling from the dugout. Uh, You know, the ump made a bad call. I'm looking at him like, come on, am I going to get get thrown out tonight? Yeah, Um, yeah. 
And that's the kind of stuff like that aspect of my life was has, you know, for a decade been fueled by magic and, and the the fun of those tournaments. So uh, I realized during that th- that, you know, two months that I, I did softball that I really missed the thrill of competition. We're doing it again in this spring, by the way. I've got more softball in like March or April. I, I want to so bad. Oh, but- it's going to be great. So, so those are like two of the main answers, right? Camaraderie and competition. You definitely yeah. missed, like, that's the stuff that we missed out. Like, I miss hanging out with Ross, like, once or twice a month, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny, like, you know, we take for, for granted that the fact for, like, years of our lives, right? You and I would, like, we'd, we'd talk a few times a month. I mean, talk a few times a week about, like, magic or whatever. You know, you and I talk more about other stuff than magic than magic itself. But, you know, we'd have this thing that brings us together once or twice a month where we go to an open, you know, specifically teaming together and stuff. And, like... It was almost like, you, I don't know if y'all can hear this. My dog's going nuts. It's almost like, here, let me put her down real quick. It, you know, we'd, we'd show up to the same city and hang out and everything would just fall into place immediately, right? Like very easily. And it was like, you know, we, we never left each other kind of thing. This sounds very romantic, I'm aware. But, because um, that's that's the kind of relationship we got. But, uh, you know, I miss that, right? I miss seeing Brennan DeCandio. Like I miss seeing you in person. Like I miss seeing my friends. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've struggled with, like mental health wise over the last couple of years with taking this pandemic very seriously is, you know, I don't get out a lot, you know, and I, I miss that, you know, because like I don't trust a lot of the people here. I don't think a lot of the stuff that I go to is particularly safe when I'm when I'm here and I'm one of the only people wearing a mask. So I do it very little because, you know, if it, if it affects my job, that's really bad for me. I cannot have the virus affect my job. Like I, I just can't miss shows and stuff. Yeah. And I just miss the ease of it all. You know, I miss just going to these events and stuff and like. I'm telling you, when I went to that first calling in Vegas, it was the first big event that I've been to, like, you could see tears in people's eyes of, like, being able to just do this, you know, to to have that freedom, you know, and people miss it. And it sucks. It's the reality of the world that we're in right now. But, you know, with some of this coming back, as long as just be responsible, right? You know, it's like the, it's like the joking, like, drink responsible, like, travel responsible right now, magic responsible, like, you know, be an adult about things. But, like, you can go and enjoy these things. I'm not telling you not to do it. Just be responsible, you know, be smart about it. And we can have nice things. We can have some nice things, right? And, like, it's fun, you know? Go have fun. Go see your friends. I I can't pinpoint one specific thing that I took for granted because, honestly, the answer is all of it. You know, we took it, we took it for granted how easy it was to get to, it to places, how safe it was, how much you didn't have to worry about every little thing, you know? And how you didn't have to worry about how other people were going to see you for it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So... I don't know, man, like it's, it's going to be nice when it's back to normal, if it ever gets back to normal, but I'm glad that some of this is coming back. Yeah. Um, and you know, hopefully we can make some progress, um, you know, over the coming year. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> a, my lot, fingers. a lot of things have been pulling us back. You know, uh, we, we talk about this all the time. Um, I didn't want to bring it up on the show. You know, there was like some drama that happened in the magic community and usually, you know, we kind of don't talk about it too much but i will say the saying that i that i love or whatever it's like if there's one nazi sitting at a table and 10 people are talking to him then there's 11 nazis at this table that's all i'm gonna say um so let, let's let's chill <laughs> on some of this stuff and right bunch of nazis yeah there you go <laughs> exactly uh, i have no problem with physical violence when it comes to that uh not not a fan at all but some things cross the line and stuff like that so uh it, we don't need to talk on that subject anymore but Really, really good question. Boom, boom, zoom. I hope you yourself get to go to a big event sometime soon because you haven't, you know, if you haven't been able to, I hope you know you're close to Philly or Indy. And hey, there's a really good chance I'm going to Indy now. 
Uh, I can't make anything, any promises. N- nothing is for sure, but there's there's a very decent chance I'm going to Indy now, and I might be in Dallas. So if anybody's listening to this and y'all hear that, message me ahead of time. Let me know that you're going. We'll make sure that we can meet up in a in a in a manner that's safe for all of us. Maybe like me and Ross can say hi to some people from the um, that are fans of the podcast or just fans of us because you know th- we haven't had that opportunity pretty much since this started. You know, we've almost never had that opportunity since this has started. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> We, we've been waiting to kind of meet each other in person because we have some stuff to give away to fans and stuff that we need to do that we need to get to see each other, you know, do some signings and some stuff. And we're really looking forward to like getting back to some normalcy when it comes to that. And like I said, we might have some cool announcements for y'all over the next few weeks when it comes to this stuff too. So uh, I'm just excited around all of it. So I hope you are as well. Boom, boom, zoom. I love saying the name, by the way, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and I, I hope, you know, I hope you get to enjoy some of this. So hopefully you do. Ross, are you looking forward to the stuff as much as I am? I am literally looking at flight information for Dallas right now. <laughs> Dallas is the most likely one for me to go to because it's technically drivable for me if I want. And, you know, I actually prefer to drive to things now if I can, though, you know, being in South Louisiana, there's not a lot of options. But uh, the Indianapolis thing, uh, I'll probably know by the end of the week or the next week. It's it's become very important for a lot of Flesh and Blood people because they just announced that the event for Flesh and Blood is, is an actual calling. It's like a it's a Grand Prix. So I won't say anything else on the subject, but, you know, it's very important that a lot of us be there. So, Uh, yeah, that is definitely a big deal. Uh, I would say I am unlikely to go to Dallas at this point, but I will be in Philly (laughs) and Indy. Nice. Well, we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, Speaking of what you can do, what you can do that helps us out just a little bit is make sure you you check out BarristerAndMan.com. That's Man of Two Ends. That is our lovely sponsor for the show. I mean, they've had our backs for what? Like, is it like a year and a half now, Ross? It feels like forever. I think it's almost two years, really. Yeah, it's it feels like forever, and I couldn't be happier with uh, representing a company. I love their products, uh, love the owners. They're they're great. They're magic players themselves. That matters to you. They hand make a lot of their stuff. You know, the stuff is personally made. A lot of great ingredients. A lot of good stuff. You know, soaps, uh, colognes, shaving utensils, all kinds of stuff that I personally swear by. Ross can see me right now. I'm actually really well. You know, usually I have the beard thing going because I you know why not right now but i'm really well kept up right now i did the whole like you know the whole shaving shebang the other day and i wouldn't be able to have as good of uh, experience if it wasn't for barrister man you can make sure you check them out you can take this however you'd like but i will say in the time that i've been using barrister and man products which is probably under two years of my 33 year long life I believe I've been complimented on how well I smell more than in the previous 31 years combined. I don't know if that says anything. I don't know if that <laughs> says more about Barrister and Man or more about you personally, but I'll, I'll take it as a win for Barrister and Man, yeah. right? We'll, we'll take it as a win. I'm sure they will too. But make sure you check out their products. It's barristerandman.com. They do have a Twitter. Make sure you check out on there because sometimes they might have some sales or announcement on their like new scents that are coming out and stuff like that. So make no, sure you check no that out. No matter how you feel about, no matter how you think that reflects on me, it's got to reflect well on Barrister and Yeah, Man. of course. That's, That's a, the it's, thing. It's, it's always a win, a win for them. them. Yeah, it's obviously a win for them. I don't know what it says about you, but we could, we could get into that on another show. I don't think we have enough time to get into that. Yeah, that's a, that's a long discussion. Yeah, but make sure you uh, you check them out, barristerman.com, man with two ends. And what was the uh, the code there, Ross? That is MTG Rants 2022. MTG Rants 2022 for 15% off at your checkout. Make sure you use the white one because I definitely tweeted about this the other day and put in the wrong code because I'm an idiot. So <laughs> That sounds like something you would do. Oh, it actually yeah. sounds like something gonna... Brennan would do. Yeah, 
Uh, I have a Brennan uh, flight story to tell you sometimes. You know, I pulled a Brennan the other day when <laughs> buying tickets for a flight thing for the first time in my life. And I, I'm convinced that I didn't get it wrong, that it, it's, it's somehow messed up in the thing. But anyway, uh, that's going to be it for this week's show. We're going to be back with the top eight next week. So make sure that you don't miss out on that. Thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you all next week. Bye.